This is episode number 38, Social Psychology for People in a Hurry with Patrick Natilli. Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 20-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, it is my mission to bring you empowering people and messages to help you learn anything and take control of your life while fulfilling your vision of success. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and school is now in session. All right, my friends, here's the deal. I brought on the smartest person I know. He happens to be my best friend, and we broke out the organic, sparkling, sake wine, sipped on that, and talked about all things psychology. This is the smartest person I know without a doubt, and I've been so eager to share him with the world. This is a guy, and it's absolutely incredible. He can talk to anyone under any circumstances. He is a master conversationalist. There's this incredible phenomenon with him where not only does everyone know him and he knows everybody, but he makes every single person feel like they're his best friend. He makes people feel good. And I know he's not like the other guests on my show. He doesn't have any insane accomplishments. He hasn't written a book. But give this man a chance, and I can promise you that you're going to see that he is probably the most successful person that we've ever had on this podcast in the sense that he's just so fucking smart. This kid, he's a genius. I love him to death, and I know you're going to love him too. So without further ado, here he is, the one, the only, Patrick Natilli. I told my mom I'm going to be on the podcast and she's like asking me like because she wants to talk to me. She's like, Lamo, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete, some I people said, are still like, on I there. I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, I'll send you the link, mom. Yeah. You'll love it. That's not too uncommon, <laughs> man. That's funny. Yeah. No, she just, they're just so out of the loop. Like she literally has never heard the word. Damn. I'd say about half kids, even, half yeah, even kids, kids our age, don't even, they have iPhones. Or they're like, what's, that, what's the Apple podcast? Uh-huh. Or they just don't even know what a podcast is. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just, it's just so like, I feel like it's so out of the loop for them. I, I just feel like that style of learning has yet to been like kind of ventured into. Mm. I think it will be as people get lazier and lazier and don't want to read words because it takes energy to read words, more energy. It's autopilot. This is autopilot. Yeah, this is easy. And, and it's passive learning. It's not, it's not, you don't have to actively kind of do it. So you know what I've been doing, man? I, we haven't seen each other in nine days. Has it been? Yeah. And... I've been purposely not like avoiding <laughs> yeah. you. You know, we were going to go to the gym Monday. Yeah, and, and ended up uh, not working out. And and you said you had you're like last minute you had something going on. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this in stride, and we're just going to have so much on Friday to like catch up genius. on and talk about. <laughs> that know? was absolutely genius. Like, I wanted to go to the gym with you this week, but you know what's funny too? I've been dependent on you for the gym lately. Admittedly. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, you going to the gym with me really helps, um, motivate at least Absolutely. get me there. I've been, I've become self, self-sufficient once again oh, this yeah? week. I've been going to, <laughs> I've been going to the gym by myself, uh, like six out of seven days. Oh, boy. And now here's the, here's the one caveat though. Last night 
in did it for the social situation but yeah went to ale house and i had a, oh yeah had a freaking uh, the the mountain melt with the cheese and oh, the yeah. fries and, <laughs> yeah. and the fried chicken oh that's great I'm, you... I'm still full <laughs> i swear to god oh it's literally two thousand calories at least did you go with like a would you would you go with a group or was it yeah i went with i went with bella and, oh, and her nice. friends yeah good stuff that's great man that's so dope I um I I've not been doing the gym this week. I've been playing basketball, and then my this is like that low T week. Like you know, like I I, I honest I, I I learned it in a class. I, at least I think I learned it in a class that there is a technically basically a period for men as well. You know, the the one week out of the month, the T levels dip drastically. Estrogen even increases. At least Whoa. from what I've you know from what I've remembered from this class, and and I catch it. It's like you know every every couple of months, like I just I'm like. One of those weeks, I'm just like dragging, you know, I end up not doing the gym and I'm like, oh, and then I don't like to placebo it, you know, because you can, you can definitely placebo that into yourself and be like, oh, this, or blame it and be a victim and be like, oh, this is my, certainly, this is my low testosterone week or this is my low T week. I'm just going to, I'm going to eat gelato. But speaking of gelato, I had, I had gelato for the last three days. So I've been, you know, it's, what been, my, it's been my excuse. <laughs> I've said it before. I respect that about you. Like you, you, you got a thing with ice cream and, and gelato that. You'll just treat yourself like once a week. It's like random. Usually. I mean, yeah. three days in a row, whatever. But, that's yeah, that's a little excessive. <laughs> but you, you really, you you don't limit yourself. You really enjoy yourself. And and you know me with uh, how I used to be so rigid and strict. very stringent. And yeah. and even when I would eat like crap, I couldn't enjoy it because I was I would shoot myself in the foot. In the back of your for, head. I would the shoot whole myself time. in the foot for shooting myself in the foot. Yeah. So I'd shoot myself. <laughs> I'd shoot both feet. When I only I only had to shoot one by yeah. by eating the crap, um, that's something that's been very different with me in really I guess since the turn of twenty eighteen. Yeah, your your, your diet has been you know in, in comparison to balance is the word. That's what I was going to get to is that in comparison to to you know Jordan from a year ago, you're still eating very very healthy and, and to compare it to you know I guess the common citizen you know you're eating far far and far and wide probably more nutritional stuff. But what I've realized is important for me for my psychological health is to have those incremental kind of, what's the word, you know, incremental sweets and, and things that I know are just things that you should not do often, but are good in moderation. You know, it's so cliche to say, but who are Plato or Aristotle, whichever one of the two said it, everything in moderation is the absolute best quote in, in you know, in human existence, because it's true. It, you can eat things that are not so healthy and you can do drugs and you can do different things in moderation and be fine. I go back and forth with that. I, yeah. I go back and forth between that quote and it's great and moderation, I say moderation is for the weak. It's for those who can't commit. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, I guess it goes, I don't know, it goes both ways. It's, it it it's does. I think, I think when it comes to, when it comes to the little things, there's a giant psychological benefit that I get because you, for me, and, and I actually have a, a book here that I want to talk later on about the yeah. nine distinct personality types called The Essential Enneagram. It's a really, really good book. And for me, for what I've kind of self-proclaimed is what I believe is my personality type and what I know about myself and what I've read from this book as well, is as much as I like organization and structure in my life, it becomes a trap eventually, psychologically. And, and I feel too tied into a certain lifestyle so then I need to kind of jump out of it and do that thing I know is not too good and eat that food that's not that great for me because it, it kind of reprieves myself and it, and it gives me that kind of 
that stimulus that I've been that I've been lacking and, and just it just novelty you know I, the human the human brain loves novelty that is what we are searching for in our everyday lives you know everything is a stimulus and and certain stimuluses you know you get saturated with them and some mm -hmm. of them become deprived it just depends on the exposure to the stimulus and when I say everything I mean everything a person is a stimulus you know uh, people places things food sex drugs all of the above they all elicit some type of neurochemical reaction in the brain right mm -hmm. and you know you can you can only do the same thing over and over again you know people go out to the best clubs and the best boats and all the things and the best of the best in the world you know these rappers and these high-end people and a year later they're tired of it already you know they they've done the best things that are kind of prescribed to us or at least culturally to, we're told are the funnest things that are going to elicit the best reaction and you know the highest hit of dopamine and all of that and no matter what you eventually becomes mundane and you know and it becomes repetitive and it can get back to that you know it's, it's the law of diminishing returns basically yeah. you know you just you need novelty so that's kind of why I throw into the, I throw getting back to the original point there <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I like to throw in those things that I don't do so mm -hmm. often kind of bring me back to the, to the novel experiences mm -hmm. agreed yeah I gotta tell you man hosting someone on the podcast uh, is is always a pleasure, but especially doing it in person. Mm -hmm. This is this is great, man. And and we've been talking about this. Oh, we've been God. talking about this for a while. We had an idea. We're like we're like, dude, we could go for three hours. And I don't know how long this is going to be. We're just going to yeah, have some fucking fun here. Yeah. And this is we could we could go forever. We have these classic. We just have these conversations. And by, at this point, we've probably had. Around a thousand. Oh my God! Um, Who even knows? Amazing, uh, incredibly deep conversations that mm. that, and, and now this is like the first one <laughs> we're ever capturing, and it's a it's now someone like you, and I say this as a joke, but not really. It's a pleasure to have FGCU's <laughs> hottest celebrity <laughs> in the house today. Oh my God! Because because let me I'm. Yeah, it's it's funny to say that, um, but I've never seen anything like it. We go out, every single person knows you. You're like, you know, I, I mentioned you in conversation, everyone knows you, people that you know. Oh, Patty Ice. Like, Patty Ice. <laughs> Patty Ice is the trademark name. Um, you're, it's literally a household name. You've done this. It's not even, it's not even people know you. Like, people think, you make everyone feel like you're best friends with them. And it makes me think, like, I, I, oh yeah, I've been saying this kid's my best friend for for two over over two years now, and uh, it's like that's a very am interesting I, point. Am, 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 am I any more special? You know, oh, you are for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you 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 are so right about the about people feeling very emotionally connected, and and I don't, you know, there's some people are sociopathic in that way, or, and 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 pathologically create those relationships to manipulate them and and you know and, and they and they purposely develop these these giant social networks to kind of ex expedite and, and get the resources from the people and stuff but for me i just i feel like it's almost a duty to validate people and not in a job sense but i just know how good it feels to be emotionally kind of cared for and attended to and and to get that attention you know when you get at the basic human nature what do we want? We want attention. You know, the kids, if, if you have two, you know, if you're not an only child and you have two kids who are relatively close in age, 
they're going to do everything in their will to compete for the for the parents' attention back and forth, back and forth. And that's what that's what you just most things that you see are 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 due from rooting in the need of attention, you know. So I've just I've just kind of learned that people people need to be validated. People need to be looked in the eyes. Mm. You need to you need to give them that connection because without that, if no one if they go all day and they have conversations with people all day and no one's looking them in the eyes, no one's smiling in their face, no one's hugging them, no one's physically being affectionate with them, no one's giving them any type of like I love you or I, I appreciate your existence, how would that person feel? So I feel like it's almost my civic duty naturally and I, and I you know it's not even a duty because it's me it's become me at least it, may, it might have not always been me but at this point it is my nature to kind of interact with people that way because I think it just brings about so much so much better so much better interactions not only for them and for myself you know it's, it's great to have a loving network of people who Man. reciprocate that on that note, yeah. I think we need to break out. Oh, this special beverage. <laughs> yeah. This is. We're incredibly extra right now. Oh, wait till oh I see. love being extra. <laughs> wait, till, wait till we see this. From the hood to the hills. Okay. Organic elderflower apple sparkling, <laughs> sparkling sake wine, affectionately named for this episode. The brand is called Social. Oh, perfect. And we're figuring out today the mathematics of social ability. What do you... Oh, absolutely. You've been talking about this concept, the mathematics of social ability, for a little while now. Yeah, this has been, this has been something that, you know, and, and, you know, people have the, their dream t- TED Talk or their, their dream podcast, I guess. And this, this would be the topic that I, I just personally think is a great one for me to expand on. And off the top of the head without, you know, because I, I've, I've been actually, I want to write a formula for, like, yeah, I speak about it in a mathematical way. And I'm going to get deeper into, like, the part that I can kind of describe as the mathematics. But I am going to contrive a formula eventually where it's a true, you know, mathematical. To figure out social yes. interactions the way you would figure out a math problem. Yeah, exactly, right? But in terms of the mathematics I can kind of describe verbally right now, you know, Getting back to people being stimuli. Cheers, buddy. Oh, cheers. Yes, let's give this a taste. Hold on, let me let me get a little sip here. Oh, it's amazing. Hell, oh, that is, is that, well. Oh my god, that's the best way. Wait, wait, let me try that again. This is a new flavor I found. Yeah. Usually I do the toasted coconut. Oh, this is so good. I I, I still toasted coconut is still my favorite, but this is great, man. This is super healthy. Right. So it's the mathematics of sociability. So you interact with someone, you interact with people every day, right? And you do things that they like, that they dislike. Some of these things are consciously noted. You know, you you non-verbally might have a weird twitch in your face as you say something, and and they can consciously see that, and sometimes don't even think about it. But they're just the the human brain, the human organism can perceive a lot more than you than people often think it can, right? So you have these likes and these dislikes about whatever experience you have. And I like to refer to those as positive or negative associations. You know, all the learning that we do is through positive and negative associations. So the mathematical part comes in when you add the proportion. Are you, are you having, you know, X amount of positive associations with a person compared to Y amount of negative associations? You know, which one is tipping the scale compared to the other one? So you can kind of as you know, as as it shouldn't be so thought out, but you can calculate your interactions and knowing what people like. I actually have some paperwork here sure. on, on the four ways to to make people like you. 
And I'll Ooh. pull that out here. Yeah, had a some social psychology. Everyone wants to be liked. Everyone. That's that's the underlying theme of social psychology. And every book that you read, one of the main goals of anything that they do, they will always include the need to be liked. So here, let me uh, let me pull it out real quick. Mm -hmm. Just just to have it at hand. You know, it goes it goes like even for for me, I feel. I feel out of balance in my life when, when um, you know my social interactions don't go the way. Uh huh. It's it's uh, it's. I, I there was a time many months ago. I guess like six to eight months ago, I was very displeased with my social interactions. I would, I would get out of them and be like, "Fuck, man! Like, what did I do wrong? Like, yeah, like, I just wasn't feeling it, man. Mm -hmm. I was, and I was." wasn't getting that 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 validation i guess that's and, and that's I, what it falls back on to you know a, a self self presentation is is a very important concept for us and we are all self monitors some some are higher self monitors than others right and when you're a high self monitor you're constantly trying to adjust your self to the to the context of the situation you know what the people's beliefs and likes are you want to you want to kind of fall in line with that to to be as positively perceived as possible because not only does it have a positive effect on the interaction but it's more for the person it's it's more about them it, it validates their self-image and it and, and reinforces whatever positive self associations they have right so getting back to the the need to be liked and, and the things that create those positive associations you know there's four basic goals that we kind of go about to be to, to make someone like us, right? So you can express liking for other people, you know, just like how I said earlier, you know, I, I interact with people and I, and I go up to them and I smile and I, and I show them all the cues that someone would do when they like someone, you know, you smile, you, you even, you know, imitate their behavior perhaps. Mirroring. Mirroring, another big one. I was doing that today. Yeah, I yeah, I can mirror you right now, you know. I mean, <laughs> oh, just, yeah. crossing leg, what a big move. leg on the, on the thigh, like he a classic psychologist. And so what did that, that just created a sort of, a very subconscious rapport between it's, us. It's a subconscious, especially most of these things are subconsciously perceived and it all falls that back to similarity, right? Because if someone's doing something that you're doing, they're at least in a, a physical, nonverbal way, similar to you they're they're at least performing similar behaviors to you and and we just we love to trick ourselves so that's one of the ways and like and then creating similarity is actually the second main main way that you can do that and as 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 superficial as this is and in humans people need to learn that as, as equally depth or deep you know and complex as humans are they're equally very superficial and one of the main ways from thousands and thousands of research studies to be liked is to be physically attractive. Oh, wow. And all, that is subjective, but there are universal traits, you know, symmetric faces, you know, muscular, depending on the culture, muscular versus kind of obese, you know, right. of course you hear about the African tribes who, who praise the, the women who are, you know, extremely obese and, and stuff like that. So it is, there are some Asians cultural... back in the day too. Mm -hmm. I, I and, there, and there are some cultural differences, but the physical attractive part of interactions is so potent and and sometimes it's it's awesome and for people who have kind of been gifted or blessed or injected <laughs> surgically altered you can you can use that to your favor but it's it's kind of it's kind of messed up to the people who who have had no control over over what mother nature might have you know shaped them to to look like and, and it kind of 
discredits people when you because you know they, they say not to judge a book by a cover but we are st- we stereotype we have you know we have system one thinking and system two thinking uh, I, I'm not sure who, who, who that original psychological theory come, came from at the time but system one thinking is quick thinking you know we rely on heuristics biases mm. very quick mechanisms that we can come to a, a judgment about something because we it's it's a survival tactic you know we don't want to expend resources or expend energy and mental energy or anything like that we we want to try to make the most competent decision in the shortest amount of time possible and receive the most reward from yep. it that is human beings at their core and you have system two thinking which people typically engage in you know for procedures and, and stuff like that that's not muscle memory and things that require deep logical you know connecting of the dots so what happens is that people just rely on stereotypes so much that when they see people that are not falling in line what they think is attractive what they typically you know sexually attracted to it tends to just underlie a lot of negative behaviors and most importantly out of all of these things is to be liked is to project modesty people have bullshit detectors embedded in them some people are not as good naturally as others but everyone's got a little bullshit detector somewhere All right, yeah, inside. Yeah, we, we know a person. Oh man, we know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we know a certain we male know. a ma- a certain male subject. <laughs> yeah. What 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 about him fails that test? So with with this person, I'm gonna take a sip real quick. Sure. With this person, this is what we call you know a pathological <laughs> liar, and and and. Some pathological liars are so wicked and so good, you know, they can alter the micro expressions in their face, they can align this tonality, they'll even cry on the spot sometimes and and produce, you know, produce the the emotional affect of someone who has experienced it. But there's something subconscious about us, you know, it takes, it's a dual, it's a dual process, you know, you're consciously attending to some things and the, the, the autopilot part of your brain is paying attention to other things. But we are inherent bullshit detectors, and when the when the eyes are not lining up, you know there there's a there's a, a theory of the way that the eye movement goes that you know if it's if it's going to the left, I think it's you're you're creating memories or creating. I think about this the all right. the time. Yeah. You, you told I, me that I, a year I, and a half ago. I, I wish I, I, I need to I need to perfect what you know the, the directionality and, and and function. I believe it's to, to the left is creativity and to the right is is memorization, right? So you know you 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 look these people in the eyes. There there's so many tonality. There's so many muscular and and tonal and vocal things that go into it. That's really hard to be a perfect bullshitter. You you really the human emotion that we say with with the things that we have emotional valence with that we're passionate about is too real and genuine to kind of just placebo it out to just pull it out like you know that it takes true pathological. Psycho, 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 with the whatever you want, psychopathologies to to really make that happen. So with with that that special guy, he just, I think mm-hmm. he just he just it all falls back into the attention. You know, he he really just wants to be viewed in a social and a peer level and is competent. And you know, he he sees people around him who are achieving good grades and 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 he doesn't have much that he does on the weekends. And so people go out on the weekends. And they tell these fun stories about what they did. Which is another topic all on its own. I, I just think that the the weekend culture that we have Ooh. that we have developed in the United States, and I I, I really would love to do like a, an international study to know because I think that there's a special psychology behind 
it's like it's like we need to insert these these breaks like these breaks of like of like a focused attention on on the work you know there's there's so many there's there's only so many finite kind of sections and categories of life you know you've got your work your business life your business ventures you've got play you've got romance you've got you've got like the basic you know, satisfying your basic needs like you know there's only so many kind of facets of human existence right and oh god i lost my whole train of thought with that <laughs> that's okay oh man you know what buddy i'll tell you what we'll pivot then yeah because i'm feeling really good about the world you want to know why yeah let's hear it so it's a re it's a pretty new development maybe since i've last seen you Apple rolling out the freaking screen time mm. in the in the uh, iPhone settings. That was big. Yeah, it's like it should like they're freaking listening. And I realized last night Instagram. If you go to your like settings on Instagram, you can add a limit in the Instagram app for like. So I have I literally I have in Instagram. You can even set a reminder. Mm. You, so when I hit twenty minutes for the day on Instagram, Instagram will literally tell me oh, dude, in the app. I'm going to have to set that up. And then I have app limits set on my, so I, I in the past, I, you know, I'd had uh, Instagram, Facebook and, and Twitter and all that deleted from mm-hmm. my phone because I, I didn't it. have self control. Now I got, I have them, I have Instagram and Facebook back on my phone and the collective limit between Instagram and Facebook, I've set for 35 minutes in a day. And so after that, it kicks, it, it kicks me out. And yeah, I can, I can, I can literally hit ignore limit and then type in the passcode and then approve it for, you know, 15 more minutes, whatever. Uh, but it seems to work for me. And so like, it forces me to be so much more efficient on Instagram uh, in social media. I'll go on it and I'm thinking like, oh crap, I, I shouldn't stay on it. I shouldn't stay on it this long. Uh, like I got, I got to get off. Only like one or mm-hmm. one or two minutes. I got to save my time uh, for the rest of the day. And, be, and and let me say why that's important too. Because I think in today's world, I you know I had deleted Instagram for the longest time, not my profile, but I deleted the app, and my social life was suffering. And now I just reply. I I use my thirty five minutes. Sometimes I post, but I will I'll use my thirty five minutes replying to people's freaking stories, man. I make plans and, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, since my social life is back on the rise, mm-hmm. I, I think it's necessary to participate in the Facebook, Instagram world at, at this point. At this point. Right? Is that a good thing? I don't know. I, I think mm-hmm. the, the, the long-term implications, it's going to be very interesting to see. But the, the whole idea of the limit is really fascinating because... I think that if someone could, you know, getting getting back to like impulsiveness and, and, and being able to control impulse, right? You know, it's so easy for someone to press that dismiss button and say, you know what, whatever, 30 extra minutes or whatever. But for anyone who's really committed to trying to change their, their behavior, that, that gonna, that's going to be a good kind of like check-in point where they can kind of psychologically check in and go, hmm, oh, shit. And then it causes that cognitive dissonance, you know? So then, then they either have to adjust the time mm. and then come up with some bullshit reason in their mind for why they're doing that, or they're gonna realize that they're, you know, they're, they're impinging on what they told themselves that they're not going to do. And it, and it causes that uncomfortability. And, and we hate that uncomfortability as people. We want our self-image and our behaviors to be in perfect 
correlation. You know, they, they need to be connected because if you do something that doesn't represent what you think you are as a type of person and what your values and beliefs are, then then you just have this undying need to fix that. Well, we're so... We do fix it. We justify... We, we trick ourselves big time oh, God. It, to avoid the, the tragedy of cognitive dissonance, the, the, the tragedy that cognitive dissonance wreaks on uh, reaps on our minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we justify, we come up with these BS reasons to justify our behavior. Just anything. Mm-hmm. A, psycho, you know, a psychopath finds a way to justify, <sighs> just to, to justify being a serial killer. You know, the, the human brain it is wired to protect its, its balance and its homeostasis at all costs. And there are just a laundry list of protective biases and, and styles of thinking that we indulge in to, to make sure that we, we are perceived, at least by ourselves, as, as competent, well-liked, moral, ethical human beings. And with Instagram specifically, you know, there's, been, there's been a few... A few di- I've been trying to observe my own behavior on Instagram, right? Because I'm, I'm trying to reduce my usage and I'm trying to satisfy the cognitive dissonance of knowing that sure. I'm spending way too much time on it. I wonder how much time you spend. Oh, I spend, I spend an easy two hours. Nah, like an Ooh. hour, hour and a half, I'd say. Depending on that's how many, yeah, that's what I was at before I the take limit. throughout the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Toilet, toilet time goes. Toilet time has turned from five minutes to a the twenty-five minute thing since the invention. Yeah, of, you got a problem of with the that, phone. Man. What's this? <laughs> Not the gonna phone? lie. <laughs> I swear the phone has such a big type. Uh, it's have a problem with it. But what I've been categorizing my behaviors, I think they fall under four general categories and someone else could could easily add to this if they took the time and i'm sure i could find more but this is what i've realized i do on social media Mm. so the biggest one and the most unconscious one or no maybe not the most unconscious but the one that has the most kind of i i think correlation to this you know you hear all the anxiety and depressive rates rising and they try to correlate it back to social media and stuff and it's very hard to just say that but if there was one reason that I could see it increasing is because your ability to upward and downward socially compare yourself has increased by a million in the last in the last you know 10 20 years yep. since the internet has come out before you had to, to see people, 250 million really yeah, yeah. you had to see people in person or you had to use your imagination to like think you know you'd think about how how great Jerry was at, at baseball or something. Think like, oh man, I wish I could throw like Jerry. You know, and, and you, that's like you you can only use your imagination really, or see the person and, and people in person. But now he posts a video like, look at me throwing a hundred miles an hour, and it's like it's, it's this big paradox because people are, are are set to socially compare, and then we've designed the paradigm of social media to only post your best self. So you're you're comparing against an illusion you know a, you're comparing yourself against a, against a, a, a facade basically and and people you know they they go their way with it you know most of the time i think with the way that instagram has been set up at least of the social medias it's a special especially an upward compare upward comparable app because everyone's posting their best self so people are kind of constantly like thirsting for that that better like adventure that someone's on you know you're swiping through stories you're like oh jenny's out in bahamas you know <laughs> larry's up in ibiza yeah they just yeah. It, you're you're constantly like oh what can i what can i do to get to ibiza you know or well how can i how can i find a way to be be that great to be able to do that and and it's only so often that people downward socially compare 
and, and actually get some type of positive emotion out of it. But then with downward social comparison, usually comes with like shitting on someone. You know, you look at someone and you're like, and, and you're like, oh, haha, his outfit sucks. Like I'm better looking than him. You know, and these are not things that I think, but these are, these are just kind of the, the modality of thinking that we kind of naturally have before the conscious part of our mind comes in and tries to be all moral and says, you know, well, why, why is this our tendency? Do you think? I'm not expecting you to have no. I, so there's the obviously, obviously, you know, and, and that's another disclaimer. I'd like to, I like to give to people on the podcast. I am not, you know, I'm not yeah. a certified licensed psychologist. I just have a, a, a special interest in, in social psychology. To, yeah. On that note, you, I, I've told, I'm on the record many times, telling other people, not even you, not even being in my presence, mm. that you're. I'm like, like I'm trying to explain to, to explain to like uh, people that don't know you which is very few, um, <laughs> who this Patty Ice guy is. And I'm like, yeah, he's like the smartest kid I've ever met, uh, the smartest guy I've ever met, like far and away. Oh, I love you, um, man. <laughs> I love you too, my man. And that's important too. We got we got over the hump I like early saying I love you. Oh, yeah. Guys have there's, a tough time saying There's a weird masculine man. culture here in America. And it's and I think it's changing. I think the dynamic is, is getting better. But, you know, for... I don't even. I can't even put a number on it. You know, things were so masculinated, and it was it was such a gendered world, and we were kind of just breaking free of that. But I've always made it a point, I think, to express my love to my friends, and, and you know, that's mm-hmm. there's it's so sad. That there's like a stigma on that for you know for for men basically to to express that to each other, and um, and with that being said, I just I want people to know that. Uh, I, I, there nothing that I'm saying is an absolute fact. You know, sure. this is this is this is just me regurgitating research and hundreds of years of social psychological psychological research. You know, the things that I'm saying, nobody's really a factual or, or or non-factual person. You know, things are left subject to interpretation. There's no right or wrong answer to most things in life. You know, mathematics is a little a little certain. But I just want yeah. I just want the people of the podcast to know, like, to not think that I'm some self righteous certainly person. So, what what is your opinion then on why our tendency is oh. to compare upwards and yeah, downwards? Yeah, so back and, so and back to that. I'll tell you what I'm going to be transparent for a second. That magazine over there, that the one that uh, with my feature story. Yeah, yeah. I saw the I saw the title. I I saw it's not it's I'm not on the cover of the magazine, but I'm like a I, I'm like a feature story in it and my pictures in it. But the headline is on the cover, and the first—I f- I feel crappy saying this—but the first thought, instinctively, I saw her on the cover, the lady that's on the cover, and I said, "Why am I not on the cover?" Uh-huh. Even the, I, I was never promised the cover. I wasn't even told that the headline would be on the cover. That was like a pleasant surprise in and of itself, and I wasn't even thankful for that right away. I was saying, "Why the heck is that not me?" Uh-huh. I should like. I was, I was, com- and I was comparing myself to her. Um, really, just shitty. Yeah, <laughs> really yeah, shitty. I've repeated that like one other time yeah. uh, to to Steve um, actually, and he's like, "Yeah, dude, that's that's bad. It's bad, <laughs> but it's it's. I can't even blame you because as much as you know, people people talk about you know nature versus nurture. As much as you know, nurture has a part in in that social and downward comparison like i think i think in more collectivist cultures that it's actually reduced because you're not you're not seeing yourself so much as this individual and you see yourself the the, the self-image is more like a group image and you kind of see the the identity there is how's my group functioning 
So it kind of takes all of the concepts that we apply in this individual, the success society for our self images and kind of applies it more to a, to a group mindset. So there's cultural differences, but at the heart, I really just think that humans are wired to, to use themselves as a reference point. And, and, you know, this game, you could even get back to this on a metaphysical level with the, um, with the viewer's effect or where, where there's a, there's a specific psycho or metaphysical terminology principle that basically says without something being viewed, it is not existent. So it's like, we, we need to like use things as a reference point, just, just at the most basic level of, of life, you know, molecularly. So I, with, with that being said, you know, that's such a, a, a rooted physics, physical type thing. I just think that people really need to refer to themselves, to other things, to have an understanding of themselves. It's like a, it's like this inherent need to understand themselves because we'll never understand ourselves, but we're trying to in every form of the way possible. Mm. Glad I got back on, back on track at the end there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Certainly. What'd you mean? What do you mean by trigger words and sentence framing? Why is this relevant? Why is this a relevant topic? It's a very important topic because the way that you, there's so many ways to express the same thing, right? There is so many ways for you to tell someone that you like them, you like what they did, you disliked what they did. More, more so, this becomes more important when you, when you touch on the negative aspects of something because we are, we are animalistic when it comes to some trigger words we we take words in and and the amygdala part of our brain fires up like we just got hit from the back with a with a wrench you know we we are prone to certain words that might attack on our on our on our self image it all comes back to the self image right and and it also comes back to to producing fruitful interactions and the way that you frame some things you need to design it in a way that's not attacking, that doesn't seem like you're you're going against the person's character, their belief system, mm -hmm. or or anything. Like it, it is so important to be neutral. And in the I you language, you know, like when you say when you when you're talking about something being someone's fault or something like that. Say it's really truly someone's fault, and you go, oh man, you're so you're so dumb. Why why did you why did you do that or something? No, even if you take the the negative adjective out of it, if you have that word you and then the, the end result attached to that, it hurts the person. So they they talk about I you language. You know, you go, oh man, I should have I should have known that that um like maybe that wasn't your strong suit. But instead of saying that wasn't your strong suit, like find a way. And, and it's like it's kind of like you're reversing the victim in the in the in the situation and you're kind of almost making yourself the victim sure which is not you know i i, I have d indifference with that with that uh with that concept but in business and in and, and management and and things where you need people to not get so emotionally reactive sometimes you need to break focus up. on the iu language and, and and use it and you're almost as if it's not your fault but just say like i I, I, you know, I, I gave you too much work this, this week or something like that. Like I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to find a way to manage your, your time a little better. And then that lets them know the same end result that, you know, they didn't produce the way they probably should have been producing in this weekend if it's business or, you know, and whatever it might be. Sure. Yeah. You know, now I'm very curious to hear your perspective on this because we come from extremely, oh. uh, <laughs> yeah. from polar opposite backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I grew up, and you've been to my home when oh. we had to shelter for 
the hurricane. Hurricane Irma. We, we went up to Pennsylvania and we stayed at at the Paris Estate. Oh, it's 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 an estate, all right. It's a, <laughs> I love that place. Um, so I grew up, you know, what they what they would call blessed and and, and fortunate. Um, mm-hmm. you know, swimming pool in the back, yeah. privilege. Uh, you know, swimming pool in the backyard. By all accounts, from an outsider's perspective, looks amazing. Looks great. Life should be great. You grew up the opposite, and and before I have you explain like the way you grew up. What's interesting is that uh, suicide rates among people who from rough neighborhoods is far less, significantly less mm-hmm. than people from affluent neighborhoods. They call it, they literally call it affluenza. Oh, that's the, right. The condition. I, I heard recently heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm so curious to hear your perspective coming from a rougher uh, neighborhood, not the roughest. Yeah, but. no, definitely not. But you know, I, I did, I did, uh, I did have a tough upbringing in the beginning. So uh, I guess I'll kind of go through the, 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 this timeline and then, and then get back to the, the overall, the overarching question. So, you know, I grew up first seven, eight years in Pennsylvania and I, and I, we got a nice house. Yeah, we had a nice house. Went went to Catholic school. You know, had a very traditional Catholic Bible Montessori childhood, right? And then I come down to South Florida, and I don't know what happened, you know, economically or, or, or occupationally with my parents, but lo and behold, you know, I'm tossed into this neighborhood that's complete opposite demographic of my of my last one. You know, I'm now the minority. I'm the one being bullied consistently in school. I'm the one who's having to adjust my you know, vernacular and, and, and all of my behaviors to kind of fit in line with the, with the majority and, and to be accepted and stuff like that. And so I, I really, you would think that that type of stuff, you know, you, you, there's this, the common assumption that that would correlate to someone not wanting to like, you know, be alive, like, oh, they're going through this, through more adversity. Like they, they, you would think that they would be more like, more prone to, to, to want to commit suicide. Right. But I think going through that adversity and then you see the people, you see the people who are doing so well or seemingly so well and better off. I think it creates a drive, and you know, in 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 people would say, "Oh, you you think it creates a drive? Then why are there so many people in the ghetto who, who you know who sell drugs and and don't have any any like real true motivation to do better for themselves and go to school and stuff like that?" There is a drive in there. They're just you know pursuing it in a much in a much different sure. way. And, and so I think it, it just, you see, you grow up and you see these people and you aspire to get, get the things that they want and, and, and all of that. And it's, and it's like a make or break, you know? And I think for me, it just, I, I grew up, but I always knew, I always told myself, I was like, I'm going to have a doctorate. I'm going to do great in school. And that was my self image. So I stayed in line with that and always focused on school and always made education the biggest part of my life. And, and I think that is so important but to to kind of touch upon you know the overarching question of how is it possible you know this affluenza thing i i almost want to i i hate to say it's a a victimology of sorts but you know there's so often these kids who are coming from these privileged families you know the parents are busy with their businesses or or whatever is going on they might have an at-home mom and and the attention component's not there the emotional connection the familial ties often is not there and there's just, I think there's a lot missing other than the materialistic stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely need Yes, we need, yeah. we, we need to get you more social. Yeah. We're going with the toasted coconut for you this oh, time. Oh, nice, nice. That's what I'm sitting on. 
and um, and I just think that they're they they you know they have the they have the uh, they have the extra money there and they have the extra resources, but they're missing a lot of the social stuff. And I grew up, mm. you know, my mom and when my dad passed away when I was going to sixth grade, so I I really don't have much yeah. history memory of of a father figure, you know, lessons, life lessons, and stuff like that. You know, everything that I even remember is from my mom. And even with that, I I still think that there's a lot of blank spots that I kind of figured things out for myself in terms of life principles and stuff like that. And and with that, I learned that from a community. You know, I learned that from running around the park until ten o'clock on a school night, you know, and, and being out there in a giant community of kids, I, I think that I felt there was more of like that sense of community, I guess, and sense of purpose. And and you know, when you talk about suicide, this the sense of purpose and the sense of like meaning is often the biggest kind of core root yeah. and, and that's usually where people are, are so lost and that's why they feel that way oftentimes so I think that has a big effect on it and well this, what is uh, I don't mean to cut you off but like yeah. what's the case with Robin Williams where I guess the purpose is kind of clear I mean he made millions laugh and you know and uh, in, entertained mm -hmm. and uh, from an outside perspective a lot of looks so happy. A lot of, a lot of yeah, yeah that that and there's a lot of purpose there um and had a, you know he, he had he wanted he wanted it he went and worked for it and got it mm -hmm. got it and uh and unfortunately had a had a sad ending yeah it, it is he, sad but it, and then sometimes why? i i, I um, actually consider it, does he discount all that like do you, i there is i think there that is sometimes a principle but you know with stages that i there's a great it's not even a ted talk uh it's one of the one of the guys who runs with the big one of the biggest most successful hedge funds. Oh, I can't think of it, but the the talk is called Life and Work and Life Principles. Oh, it's Ray Dalio. Yeah, Ray Dalio. Great talk. He had, it was so good. I listened to it like twice. Uh -huh. And um, fuck Jordan, my memory sucks. <laughs> <laughs> what was That's the What was funny. the thing? Oh, oh, getting back to Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah. So Ray Ray Dalio, Ray Dalio, whatever his name is. He, talk, he he splits life up into three stages, right? And 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 in the last stage, it talks about he talks about how you're no longer like the middle stage. It's like you become successful, and now you're using your success to outsource to other people and help them, and you and you get this sense of pride and purpose and helping others become successful because you've kind of already established yourself and your business and your and your romance and your life. And then he talks about how he was getting into the third stage. Where it's like you no longer feel responsible for for being contributive to like you know the rest of the society or the community's success and 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 I guess that uh, he I have to watch it again because he goes more in depth about that stage. But with Robin Williams specifically, I just really think that Robin Williams was doing his passion for so so long, and there's so much you know with media attention and so much scrutiny. I think that he almost was upset and regretful of the platform that he had done so much work to put himself onto. You know, I feel like he almost he almost thought, well, what's the point now? I've done all of the Oscars. You know, I've I've made the best movies. I've gotten the validation for it, and and I've gotten all of this, and and been desensitized essentially yeah. to it. You know, it's it becomes disappointed perhaps well, maybe that disappointed, it didn't solve. especially yeah, because there was like still underlying emotions that were not resolved. He had some illusion mm -hmm. that it was and, going to fix everything. And, and you know, suicide, I, it's, I, I, there's so much research that I would love to do in my life in developmental, longitudinal, 
is another is that longitudinal research is so expensive and so hard, but it's so interesting and so valuable. What's that like an eighty year study? Longitudinal, yeah. You so at least over X amount of time using you know? those context clues. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so I would love to see the differences in ideation of suicide subjects at different ages. You know, so like taking that stage theory and kind of looking at it for the people of the Robin Williams or who are in the upper echelon demographic, you know, and the people who are, you know, uh, impoverished and, and 18 years old and just got out of high school and can't go to college and can't afford it. And, and just, and just look at the different types of ideations they have, like, why do they want to die? How do they want to die? And, and just kind of compare the two. Cause it's just so, it's so, it's so intricate. It's, it's sad, but at the same time, I think that people deserve to have the right to their life. And, you know, I don't think it, it's, it's almost selfish. You know, people say it's selfish to take your life. Well, it's almost selfish for you as an individual to expect that person to live because they mean so much to you and do so much for you, you know, emotionally going back to like the positive associations you know, they provide so much positive associations and stimulus to your life. So why, why should they take theirs? But when you're on the opposite end of the table, I think, I think it's a much different perspective. Yeah. You, you just, I had come back from LA and I was fresh off a book launch and we went out you gave me an alarming statistic it was i don't i mean i can't remember verbatim but we were having a conversation in the car after one of our fifth avenue trips oh yeah my favorite classic <laughs> uh at cafe milano <laughs> with our waiter who we've befriended from i guess I, it's been like two years it's been now. about two years now it's yeah, kind of crazy to think it's pretty incredible almost but uh 60 some percent of people reach the ideation, ideation planning stage, yeah. stage of suicide, which is a big number. And I'll be quite frank, like I, I've been there. I've been there I've as well. Been, I've been there and, and, and I, st- and I still, I still go there and I don't know that it's like that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never, I never come, I've never come close. I, ne- I, I don't think I ever well, there's, will. Yeah, there's, but... there's, there's, there's three stages and that those, those, mm-hmm. the stages kind of, measure the, the the seriousness of what your suicidal intent is so you know you have the ideation you have the planning and then you have the execution yeah. so most of us teeter on that ideation you know you come home from the longest the longest week of work and the week's still not over you got all this shit to do and you know you start thinking you know maybe it wouldn't be so bad if i just if i just left this this earth you know and and and, and you've you've touched on this before it, it just when you when you really really think about it, it's like when you start to think too much, you come to the realization, maybe false that 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 nothing really means anything, and it just becomes so easy to think, why the fuck not? Yeah, what's, the, yeah what's, what's it gonna do? What's yeah. the point? You know, everything is arbitrary. But then I think about the emotional valence of things, and that's when I realize that things do have value you know experiences the the sub the interpretation of them is arbitrary but there is a response you know there's an elicited mm. response right and and life is is technically arbitrary you know there there is uh-huh. no true purpose or meaning you know there's uh, thousands and thousands of life's years arbitrary of scripture. Yeah. yeah there's thousands and thousands of years of scriptures and all these things to tell us Way, where our prescribed purpose should be and, and, and with the real meaning of the song and where we're all from but the, the real answer is that no one really knows you know there's no actual 
you know, book of life that just is pure facts and just we know it for fact, you know, mm. we'll never know. And I think that's kind of the beautiful part is that if we'll never know, then everyone can just use their imaginations yeah. and everyone can make their own in- interpretive reality and subjective reality and stuff. I got something something to say to that. Yeah. But first, you got to take a sip of that, buddy. That's, oh, we got, that's, the new, we got the new this, one poured up. That's potent. Yeah, I might, Here, I might, cheers. I might have to... Cheers again. I might have to potent. To a great in. night and a great life. Yeah, we are we are going to have a good night ahead of us. Mmm. I think that's, it's much better. That's literally straight coconut. I feel like I yeah. feel like someone just cracked open a coconut and poured it into my cup and, and yeah. maybe added a little a little lemon high in there. And again, to 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 the to people listening, this is I this is not even a sponsor of the podcast, but you gotta look up <laughs> yeah, yeah. social sake. It's spelled sake. S A K E. With it, the low with the low it is on it. Incredible. It's like two dollars and fifty cents for for a what how many ounces is this bottle? Ten ounces. 10 ounce bottle of it and uh, you know $10 for a four pack. Oh, yeah. That's pretty that's pre- I I think it's other the other option is going to the bar and uh for 5 5 bucks Yeah, 5 dollars getting a Michelob Ultra. Yeah, for, <laughs> that's the other option. Hey everybody, I just wanted to take a couple of seconds to tell you about our sponsor today and that is the WordPress Rocketeer. If you're ready to take your business to the next level or if you're ready to make that first move on your business, then go to the WPRocketeer.com. The WordPress Rocketeer is focused on developing creative websites to launch your dreams to infinity and beyond. Leave it to the WordPress Rocketeer to develop a website that looks, feels, and functions like that of a Fortune 500 company. You can go to T-H-E-W-P-R-O-C-K-E-T-E-E-R.com. That's the WPRocketeer.com. That's all for now and back to the show. But it's good to just intrigue my own mind and kind of conduct these little experiments every day. And yeah. you know, I, I have this quote that I've been telling so many people, and it's, we are all social psychologists, whether we know it or not. We all have an interest and a curiosity about social psychological type things. We are always trying to figure out, you know, how to be liked, how to fit in, you know, what, how can we adapt ourselves to the situation? We are just natural psychologists and people are geniuses psychologically and don't even know it because they don't even, they just don't know the terminologies attached to the, the, the knowledge, the street knowledge that they've learned from their social interactions. So my new thing is when people are unsure about what they should do in college, if they're still undecided or they're about to go to college, and like, I don't really know. My new thing is start with psychology and you'll figure it out from there mm. because psychology underlies everything. It is, psychology is human, you know, and, and we are not living on an island with only animals. You know, we are, we are living in a vast world with a bunch of humans. And we, we are animals, though. We are animals. Uh-huh. And, and we, I, got, I got a whole section in my about I've that. Been reading, I've been reading this book called Sapiens. Mm. And I like that. So, by the way, which, what's funny is that sapiens means wise. We, we, uh, we named ourselves. We, we called ourselves that. We called ourselves the wise men. Mm-hmm. And that's so humble. That's classic. That's humble, classic human right, right there. Uh, <laughs> ignorant man. And... Uh, What's funny is that we're just like any other animal. Like there's cats, there's lion, there's tigers. They're all they all have the same genus, mm-hmm. but the species is the same. So genus would be Homo. Yeah, and then species would be Sapiens. There were Homo erectus, Homo this, Homo that. There were yeah. um, 
Homo, uh, I'm just drawing a blank on the other ones, but uh, Neanderthals, they're just like lions, cats, tigers. They had this a family of sort of species that evolved in different ways. We had up until really as recent as 20,000 years ago, there were, I think that's when the Neanderthals died out. Don't quote me on that, yeah. but we were, we, we were, we were, we're animals, man. We are and, animals. Uh, we... And it's just interesting that um, we, you know, all these, all these other uh, types of humans died out. Yeah. And we're like the newest one. We're like the newest one. We're, we're thinking we're going to be here forever. That I, we're talking about saving the planet. Fuck that. Save our, let's save ourselves. We got to save yeah. ourselves first. Hold on. Yeah, the human who, race. Who do we think? It's like an ego thing. Like, who do we think we are that we're going to be here? For? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just my, that's just me spitting out. Yeah, whatever. no. And, and humans like getting back at the ego, humans love to caricature themselves and create this great idea that the human is this wise man, this logical rational <laughs> omniscient overarching seeing all things being when in reality we are wired to be emotionally decision emotional decision makers people have to try to be logical being logical is not natural people people don't, i mean people connect the dots and people have rationalities but it doesn't mean the rationalities are logical you know you can you can think that the sun rises because fucking you know, whatever outlandish reason you want to apply to it, there were It's natural for us to be rational, but it's not natural natural for us to be logical. So a lot of this rationality tends to root from emotional decision making, and that and that is a very, very what's the word? Hot pit. <laughs> it's a very hot pit to be to be in when it comes to making decisions because we we get triggered by things, you know, by jealousy, by by these primitive emotions, you know, we, we just we get triggered by such things that we know are not that important from our idealized mind, from the wise man mind, from the logical mind. You know, you see, you see someone like skip you in line or something like that. Is it really that big of a deal if one person, you know, cuts in front of you in the in the driveway or not in the driveway, but on your way to on your way to work or something like that? In the grand scheme of things, logically, it makes it makes you know there should be no reaction to it. You go, oh, I will be one second. I will arrive at my destination one second later or something like that. And you think about that and there's really no potency there. But instead, the amygdala, you know, the fight or flight system, the, the animal part of our brain, we see something so simple like getting cut in front of the line. It kicks in. It kicks in. And that, and that emotional rush comes in. You go, oh, son of a bitch. And you ride their ass and you, and you haunt the horn. And, you, and, you, and there's just this animal part of us. Who it, who won't get over that triggers you know the natural triggers and that every day I try to catch the animal yeah every day I try to catch the animal and throw it back in the fucking cage catch because that's, that's, it, a, that's a nugget of gold yeah right there. you're gonna listen back and be like oh yeah <laughs> because it is it is an impending problem and and you go on Facebook and 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 Facebook just has this great way of of triggering the animal part of us and so you know people see all these racially divided issues all these political topics and they're they're you know back to framing their the, the headlines have very few words that all elicit you know these big emotional reactions you know like 
you know, just like the big, the you know how you know how media headlines work. They're they're trying to milk a reaction, right? Sure. So when you go on Facebook and you go on these new things that become basically the modern day news, which is sad because you can articulate and manifest any type of story you want and popularize on Facebook. They are getting better with taking down the fake news and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But these people they go on every day and they just get triggered and they get triggered over and over and over again. And it, and it, oftentimes by biased stories and, and false stories, and no one has this idea of research. You know, it's it's so sad that you have to go to college most of the time to this I, for this idea to be implemented in your head that you need to check your sources, things need to be replicated. You know, one research study done by blah blah. You know, people love to pull up one research study and say that this is a this is why this is a fact because these these this group of researchers from fucking some big pharmacy company that probably paid them off too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so That's the problem with nutrition. To, yeah, and, and so there's just, yeah, everything's lobbied by money, right? And so there, there's no there's no idea of replication anymore and, and doing your due diligence to make sure that something is true. People see something and they want to just, yeah, it's going back to system one thinking, why, why take all mm. the effort if you just see a decently credible source say something? But how do you even determine the credibility of the source? Is it because of popularity? Yeah. And then that, you know, is that ad populum a logical fallacy? Is it because of the person? Uh, do, you, do you think the person is just very interesting? Or, you know, are, you, are you appealing to authority? You know, there's four ways of acquiring knowledge or at least four popular ways of acquiring knowledge. Is, you, know, you have the method of authority where you know, my psychology professor has a yep. doctorate in psychology. So I'm assuming the things that he's teaching me are facts, are, are true, knowledgeable things that I should retain. You have the method of tenacity, where that, you know, that's the method of the ignorant man who, who repeats his argument over and over again. He's tenacious about his argument, and he repeats the idea over and over until you're like, you accept it. You know, yeah. it, it just, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. You, know, you just repeatedly hear it, and you've got the a priori method, ah. which you could attribute to like religion, basically. You know, it's, it's been a long-standing belief, Therefore, it must be true. You know, it's been it's been believed by thousands and thousands of years of worth of people before me. So of course, it's the truth. And then you have my favorite, which is the scientific method, and that's due, you know, to the, all the things I talk about. You know, empirical research and replication, and public, you know, public knowledge and it being public and, and not being a, a reserved database of information. And you have those four main ways of acquiring knowledge. And then you have this infinite amount of logical fallacies that we all have. And I just posted the other day for all my Facebook friends. And I said, I hope that maybe some of you will read this article about logical fallacies before commenting on another politically divided post telling the person, I can understand why you don't, why you don't understand how Donald Trump is affecting our country because you have a picture of. <laughs> of your of your cat as your profile picture, so clearly you're not a competent human being. You know that would be an ad hominem sure. logical fallacy. You know your your logic behind their argument not being true is an attack against themselves and not an attack against the actual argument. So what we have on these social media platforms is 70 percent of the people who are uneducated with all ridden with logical fallacies going at each other. So there's no there's no good discourse, there's no good discussion being taken place. You just have these emotionally charged animals with no education or you know, education of, of the wrong sorts going at each other and there's gonna be no conclusion. It's just gonna be my word versus your word and, and I have more tenacity to push that word against you until you believe me. It's like people wanna people wanna join the find their tribe too, man. They wanna take a side 
It's like uh, <laughs> the, the the joke, I guess, is uh, and I got this from this is from Joe Rogan. Yeah, it's tribal psychology. Yeah. You know, the only reason people are are vegans and they're so proud of it. Vegans are a special type of special type of group, man. It's it's like they're they're only vegans because they didn't find ISIS first. <laughs> like they, you know, I like that. You know, I they, think they're I posting think... like they're, they're they're so just. <sighs> it, I, you know, it, it's there's it's it, hard with every with every you know. Um, I guess you could say tribe or, you know, category of humans, you know, you're obviously going to have variants and the reasons and the, and the causality of why they're part of that group. And you're going to have subgroups within the group, right? And, you know, at the heart, I identify with the vegan philosophy. I completely, absolutely think that they're very right. You know, animal production is causing so much carbon emissions. There's so much land being taken up. We're overpopulating the earth. We need to use the land for other things. The nutrients are depleting from the soil. There's a billion problems with us being a meat-eating society. And I completely agree with that. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to go cold turkey and, and eat vegan. And, and a big thing that I learned that someone taught me in, in, in one of the classes that I took sometime is just one of those quotes that stuck out is that you vote with your dollar, right? You're, you vote with your dollar. The money that you spend... And you dedicate and give to a corporation, they, you know, you are you are basically voting for their practices because if you, if if a million people who who are Coca Cola users, right, if a million people don't like the way that Coca Cola manufactures their their Coke and they want it to be designed in this more like you know this is such a random one but like a more organic or a more healthy way, if all those million people could somehow communicate with each other and take themselves out of being a part of like spending money on Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola will adjust its, its ways. You know, yeah. you can, you can change a corporation's practices through the masses because they want money. They want to profit and they're going to find any way possible to profit if there's a market for it. So if there's a market for people who are, you know, are vegan, <laughs> if, if, if the whole world turned vegan, then all these corporations would do great things to provide a vegan diet. Well, and, the problem is like some things need meat, man. You know, and I'm saying, I'm uh, there's like, a there's like these, some of these vegans take it so far. They're they they're calling they're they're making their cats go vegan. Yeah. You know, <laughs> look up look up hashtag vegan cat on Twitter. I've not heard of that one. Okay, <laughs> I just, Joe I just saw Joe Rogan's thing about it. Look up vegan cat hashtag vegan cat on Twitter. <laughs> These vegan cats, they feed them fucking salad and they go blind. They go blind and they die in like 4 years. Oh my god. And they and if you look at all the pictures of these cats, they're all laying down like lethargic. Dying. Yeah, lethargic. And and deprived. we we need a we need a um I I would say we need we need we don't meet, need meat like that. I think it could be but a seventy thirty. I now here's the thing: thirty percent meat. The the thing is, people do it to excess. People have meat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, they're having like thirty <laughs> ounces of meat in a day. I don't. I'm just throwing numbers yeah. out. But in blue zones, the magic number is is like under eight ounces of meat per ah. day. And if they do eat meat, it's like. 
you know, uh, sa- Fish. Uh, salmon, yeah. wild caught salmon, not farm. Yeah, the Blue Zone Project salmon. is a very great research study. But, but the thing going on, yeah, it is. That's my one of my favorite researchers that, that, that's out there. Like right um, uh, Okinawans, they, they, live the, they live longer than uh, anyone else. Mm-hmm. I think by an average of like 10 more years than, than us. And they eat, they eat, uh, they pressure cook white rice. Huh. They pressure cook the the lectin yeah. out of it, the, the the protein that that harms our system, that our system can't really handle. Mm-hmm, the they defensive. pressure cook the the lectin out of it, and so they have white rice, they have wild caught fish, and they they're just and they have uh, vegetables. They're just fucking healthy, man. Yeah, I, um, I, and, I. But it's not that they don't eat meat. You know, moderation. Hey, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Moderation. I, I would love. I really wish I knew if it was Plato or Aristotle. I think it's Plato. Mm. Plato is usually the the most referred of the two. Yeah. But um. But I I remind you know I would the, the who's the guy that goes on the TED talks with or not TED talks uh, on 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 Joe Rogan's podcast the psychologist Jordan, oh Jordan Peterson Jordan Peterson is talking about his <laughs> yes. all meat oh diet my God, no. his all meat diet and I honestly I I. I identify with it. <laughs> I wake up and and you know I, I do my intermittent fasted cardio and all that and you know I end up having you know a big a big beef you know maybe it's a steak or, or it's a burger. I mean I'm really you know I I'm not if this was a fitness podcast I would not be the one to talk. But you know I I have my abs. You know I have a good I have a good body. You know what's the term that yeah. you like to use? Skinny. There's like a, when the insides of someone's represents like that of like a, an obese skinny fat skinny fat so like yeah uh, and the acronym is TOFI thin TOFI outside, thin outside that's, fat inside that's the one that's I'm my brother for. my yeah, I would love I hope to he's know listening if I'm that eighteen but seventeen year old eighteen year old Devin Paris he, <laughs> yeah. he all he eats is French fries yeah so I you know, and I have... chicken nuggets and he's ra- he's rail thin mm-hmm. but like if you look at his complexion. Like it's all they're all fat cells. Yeah. I, I don't mean to talk shit. I'm just speaking objectively. This is just the objective <laughs> truth, and, yes. and I would love to know for me because I eat a lot of meat, and and I eat a lot of red meat, especially. I eat a lot of beef, and and I'm like I said, from an ideal perspective, I I identify with that vegan philosophy. But there's there's money and there's time component, and it's a dedicated thing. And I think we're gonna have to, as a whole human re- race, we're gonna have to reevaluate. Our eating consumption habits, and and find a good proportional balance. But with consumption, I'm actually going to touch on a point that I love to talk about, and I like to call it my caveman perspective. I'm here in. Yeah, I I have a lot of things that I refer back to this caveman concept with, and when it comes to consumption and nutrients and diet, it's probably the biggest oh, yeah. argument that I like to use for it. And you know, we were hunters and gatherers. From an evolutionarily standpoint, not that long ago. You know, in, in terms of evolutionary yeah. biology, we were hunters and gatherers a minute ago. You know, a minute it, ago. it was not anything significant that we would change so much. You know, in terms of gastro systems and, and, and things like that internally, physiologically. So, with that said, hunter gatherer lifestyle is a much different lifestyle in terms of getting the nutrients that you need nowadays. You know, there they would be days. The cavemen are walking and walking and you know picking a berry here and there and not finding any real sufficient source of food. And granted, you know their their longitudinal life might have not lived up to us, the years that we're living to. But the point is, is that the human body is designed 
to survive for a significant amount of time without consuming the way that we think we're supposed to. You know, people eat breakfast and then well, they have you know so they have their three four three to four giant meals a day and then they're eating these intermittent snacks in between and you know they're eating the giant meal every three hours and and you just don't need to do it and and I and I and I learned it I learned so much of it was habitual and sensation seeking is so often I think we're not even that hungry but we fiend so much for that taste mm-hmm. and for that sugar and for that salt whatever it is that's so tasty in the food. And we're just sensation stimulus seeking creatures. Yeah. And and so I've conditioned myself now, you know, I think this whole intermittent fasting thing, there's something, they've got something, they're hitting something because I stop eating at seven, eight. I don't eat again until I don't eat until, you know, ten o'clock in the morning. Oh and you're good. Yeah, and it's perfect. And 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 I see it. I can see the results easily. It's like your body does away with some of the some of the nasty fats and whatnot over that night and and it's just i i think that we can truly if we needed to we could eat one meal a day and live to be a very old age and i ate one meal today yeah and and i think if you encompassed the nutrients that your body know you know there's a certain limit and percentage of things that your body really needs to acquire on a daily basis or at least on like a, a certain amount of day basis you know to produce functionally and competently as it as it should and i and i really think that you can eat one to two meals a day and and be completely fine so with that said i've, I've kind of altered my diet significantly over the last six months yeah. and I've, I've turned into a two meal a day guy you know i wake up i do the intermittent fasting i do my cardio i go and i have a giant a giant probably you know 900 calorie meal i all all afternoon i'm full as hell i wait and then five six o'clock I have my dinner, you know, yep. my, my rice fajitas and steak. <laughs> well, that's, uh, we don't involve Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, that, I have a very special diet for myself. But the point of the matter but, yeah, is, yeah. is calorie intake and nutrient intake and all that, we are overdoing as a society. Yeah. We are over-consuming in every possible aspect of the term. Yeah. You know, we are a medium, this, this is kind of taken in a different way, but in terms of consumption outside of food, we are a medium- for receiving information. All of life is just information. It's all data. It's all stimuli. And we are just this receiver who's just taking it all in. In these meat vehicles. In these meat vehicles. I love to refer to myself as a meat vehicle, as, as an organism. <laughs> these meat vehicles are, that we, enjoy things and and fucking do shit and, and, and fuck and things. Havoc. Yeah. <laughs> meat. And watch and watch people pound each other's face in for fun yeah. and, and all of that. But Interesting. with that said we we consume so much information on a day-to-day basis and you know this statistic is flying over every podcast so i'm not going to sit here and say as if it's something new but you know we are being stimulated five to five hundred more times a day in terms of individual stimuli and in terms of you know just receiving the different bits of information five to five hundred times more than just people of just a hundred years ago and then it's because we have all these new sources of stimuli right so with that said the the consumption model that we've kind of designed for ourselves is shit. Where if you if, if you think about information and what value that information holds, we are consuming so much either neutral or negative information. You know, you go on Instagram, you go on Facebook. How often are you seeing these? You know, you they they integrate them every once in a while. You get the big uplifting story or the big scientific breakthrough and stuff like that. But more often than not, you're you're witnessing brutal murder. You're, you're seeing political and racial debate 
and, yeah. and just and disintegration and, and all the negative things. So you're just you're con- so much so many people are constantly consuming terrible information. So if you want to change your mindset, you want to change your being, you need to start and look at the information that you're consuming on a daily basis and moderate that and see where that takes you. Because I can bet if you take your ass off of Facebook and you and you, I, I hate to say read a book because I don't even fucking read that much outside of outside of you know school. I'm like I said, I'm a great. Well, I do, so it works. Yeah, and, and it does, and 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 it just. It all comes back to that consumption of information. What information are you consuming? And is it positively associated or is it negatively associated? Well, yeah, yeah there's... I I, I, am, I pride myself on being selectively ignorant. <laughs> um, there's a couple games of Russian roulette that you can play in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can play Russian roulette, but you could also... Another game of Russian roulette is checking your phone in the morning. Oh. Uh, and, 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 you know, first thing in the morning... And checking the news I do it. And, and notifications. I, I hate I, I hate myself and every day I remember my dream uh, and then I look at my phone and I forget my dream. It's much the same as um, having having sex without protection. <laughs> you, it's Russian roulette, man. It's like you don't I mean you don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah. And uh, you know, you don't know what notifications are gonna pop up, you don't know what news is gonna pop up, and more often than not, these these news the the news is figured out like we love this drama, we love the we love reading about oh, I would mass love, shootings, yeah, I would love to be a murders. For, for the media um, I I I've probably watched the news like fucking three times, man. Like, I I can tell you, I watched the news like two months ago. I I, I was sitting on this couch over here. I, yeah. During dinner, I just turned on CNN did, real quick. <laughs> I did watch Fox, um, and it was like, and it was it was funny because it was actually uh, it was, I forget what the story was. Uh, never mind, but. It's just all negative stuff, man. So I'm like selectively ignorant to to the news. Uh, you know, I have I have a one of my clients, um, Jonathan. Uh, I'm still a personal trainer. People forget that. Yeah. I, I forget that. Yeah, it's but a, it's deep down there. It, the personal identity. <laughs> it's deep down there. Uh, I I forget to say it, man. But um, he's always he's my news source. Uh-huh. I'll find things out like. Five days after the fact, man. Or, oh, I'm or finding like, out two weeks like, after when I go visit my grandpa. He'll tell, yeah. <laughs> he'll tell me, man. Like, uh, did, did you hear this happened? Did you hear this shooting, that shooting? Um, and I'm not, I'm not talking him down. Like he's, I mean, he's amazing. I love this guy. But that's usually when I find out this news stuff. And uh, I, I'm, like I said, selectively ignorant. I, I, I shield myself. The bubble from from the bad information. Mm-hmm. Um, just to protect my my state of mind, uh-huh. um, I do that every day. I'm not naive in in that mm-hmm. sense. You know what's going on. I'm naive you know in other in other ways yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah, we all are. Yes. <laughs> yeah, people are, people are way more naive than than they really know. Mm. We we just love to believe that we're so competent. So it's just, it's just one of those inherent. You know, there's a couple, not a couple, but there's an intricate web of inherent things that we we all have. And and going back to I want I want to I want to talk about conflict theory because you're talking about how the media focuses so much on the negative and you think like what if we had any media sources who were only posting the positive news because there's enough positive yeah. shit that happens on a daily basis for a media source to be a profitable company it's, and produce positive news but it's not profitable but it, 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 well, it because people don't. And that's what I'm going to get to, right? Yeah. Is conflict theory. You know, Karl Marx, there's three overarching sociological, kind of macro sociological perspectives on 
on how society functions in a macro state, right? So you got the institutional theory, but I, I'm not even going to go into there too. You know, there's institutional theory, conflict theory, and another one that I can't think of off the top of the head. But let's talk about conflict theory, right? So when you watch a movie, or when you write a movie, this is the, anyone who writes Ooh. a drama would understand this at the at the heart. What is it based on? You can't you can't have a movie or anything like that without conflict. That is mm. that is the whole moving part to the movie is you go things are good and then they get conflict and that's when it gets fun and then they overcome the conflict and then they, it's called beats you you have a beat per per like basically per conflict you know or, or, or you, you can separate beats differently I, I took a few acting classes but usually beats are designed so you, you you the actors are doing something and then they encounter a conflict and then they're on to the next beat right so wh why would you think that is you know it's like why are we thriving so much on conflict? What is it about human beings that we need conflict? Like Karl Marx hit something on the head. Like it's like we cannot have a society that does not have something wrong. Like it, it, a perfect utopian world. Not only would it obviously never come about, it's just not inherently like ingrained in the way that we are designed. Like we are not meant to have that. Like oh. people thrive off conflict. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier with affluenza. Their lives are so perfect that it's like... They have to find bad. something. The, the struggle of, of growing up impoverished is, is good. Like, it, it seems to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you have different types of conflict. Instead, instead of you having... Well, you, go, you can go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs for that one, I guess. You know, you're, you're, you're dealing... Uh, when you're struggling in terms of financially and, 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 and safety and security, you know, if you just went your way up physiologically through the... Through the needs, I guess you kind of focus on those conflicts instead. But when you have these these kids who are who you know are satisfying each level of the hierarchy, yes, absolutely. Let me get some more of that good stuff. Now this one. Oh, we got some different. So so let's summarize. Don't forget your point. But yeah, we've had the elderflower apple. We've had the toasted coconut. <laughs> yeah. And this one is the hibiscus. Cucumber. The hibiscus cucumber. That oh. sounds like the best of them all. We've been we've been sipping on social. This is and Britney's it's, favorite. And it's this doing is Britney's exactly favorite. what it's what it says it We're does. We're social. So getting yeah. So getting back to the to the hierarchy. You're right. I you actually just induced it an epiphany just in this one in this one moment right here. Yes. Is the conflict to focus on then becomes the self actualization part. I think and the. And the meaning part, uh, you know, I, I'd have to read, look at Maslow's hierarchy, but it basically is like self-actualization is at the top and below that is kind of like the role theory. It's like below that, you're like, hey, below the self-actualization, you're like trying to find your role and your place in society and community. And it's like, they're either suffering from the conflict of role or from the conflict of self, right? Or of self-identity and self-image. So, wow, then I'm, I'm actually, that was probably my favorite part of the whole, mm. the whole talk. Yeah. <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, academia gets the credit that it deserves. You know, there were at least mentioned in the, you know the different classes, but Maslow's hierarchy like, of needs, like three out of five classes, it needs. I was just saying, <laughs> academia it gets the credit it deserves, but like more people need to to know that hierarchy. Like they need to, it would just help people get their most basic things like sorted out. Like they just understood that you know you need they need to make sure that they're properly nourished and then they need to make sure that they feel like they have a home and not like they're living cuz what happens when someone doesn't have a home this is this is kind of getting back to bad roommates when you oh, when I you know. when you oh you know all about bad roommates i've had 12 roommates in my college career and i could tell you a lot but i'm not even going to get into <laughs> it but 
when you get to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you talk about having people living with you that you're not comfortable with or that there's conflict with, you're then taking yourself all the way back down to the bottom of the period pyramid. Ooh. You can't you can't excel until the, you know you can't go up back to the other ones mm. when your safety and security component is not secure because there's conflict in your home. There's there's no there's no sense of home there. It's nope. you go home. Like, it's a war zone. It's a war zone. You you go home scared or you go home anxious. You're you're, you're secured. You're defensive. The amygdala is, is is engaged. You know there's no sense of peace there, and without that. It's going to disrupt so many other aspects of your life. You can't, you can't even begin to perfect yourself or your role or, or any of those. Other, I really, we should really pull up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but you know, it's not that important. But hey, it, they're, they're, without that, that satisfying each level, you cannot upgrade to the next. And and having those those bad roommates, the equilibrium is fucked. Yeah, the, having those bad roommates is probably one of the biggest issues that I see in majority of college students. And, and and just not college students, but but anyone who really has to deal with roommates and their life. Yeah, so Maslow's hierarchy of needs for anyone who is really just unaware of what it is. It basically starts off at the physiological needs, you know, like air and water, sleep and clothing and reproduction. You know, you get to your safety needs. So you got your security, your home, health, property, we resources, about. what we were just mentioning. Then you get to the emotional Ooh, component. Which this is, is what I get stuck on. Yeah, this is a big, this is a big component. And it's the love and belonging part, right? And that's where you have the intimate relationships, okay. the connection, the community. And that's where most people are probably stuck on. Because yeah. if you don't satisfy that, you can't get to the esteem part. Whereas you have the self-respect, the, the role theory, the status, the strengths, the weaknesses, the, the idea of like a personal self. If you, don't, if you don't have that love and belonging, you don't have that sense yeah. of, of place in the world. And in your in your reference point, your connection to the, all of those around you, it's impossible for you to excel to the esteem point. Well, I've had so so you know I've had I've had problems with that man. Like I, you know, for for so long I've been riding solo. Mm -hmm. I've been a solo and, guy and too. Yeah, yeah, we both have, and yeah. we we have that kinship. Um, but at a and I've done all this by myself. I've uh, been riding solo the whole time and. And I haven't given a fuck, but lately it's been like, wait a minute. It's like deep down. It's like, you know, it would be kind of cool to share this with, mm -hmm. share these experiences with someone. I, I think of the quote, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I love that quote. I, I might have like flipped it, but that's... Yeah, it's a, you got the, the basic premise. Yeah, and, and so I'd say the last... Uh, last seven six seven weeks in particular I, i've been letting that eat me alive mm -hmm. so much so and i'm going to be super transparent here and this is not indicative of any people i mean there is a negative connotation with this but i was literally in counseling and psychological services let's see um last thursday so eight days ago mm -hmm. i was in i was i was with a psychologist um talking about uh precisely this and uh, you know, this is something you've told me for a while. Like you know, the most successful business executives they meet with a they meet with someone and, and talk about this you stuff about once. A, I mean, yeah. and talk about this stuff you know once a week. It's it's healthy. It's it's maintenance. Mm -hmm. It's I mean, it's, it's responsible. Like, it's like, it's, re it's responsible. And mm -hmm. finally, I got over the stigma of uh, the, the too much stigma. Yeah, it's the stigma. Dissonance. Yeah, it was like 
He was like, me? Me? I just wrote a book. I have this podcast. I'm telling these people what to do. I'm not, I'm just like, I'm being a, I'm being this teacher and what I can't go to, I can't go to uh, counseling. Oh, no, no. Who's going to tell me? What what do they know that I don't know? Or, you know, that might not be the underlying thing, but it's like, it creates that that uncomfortability. Well, I did say, I did say to you, and you said this was flaw. I said, I know no one else has the answers for me. Yes. no one's gonna solve my problems. Uh-huh. I I still stand by that though. Maybe no maybe maybe it. sort it out. They're not gonna solve your problems, and that's what you know. That's what a, a, an amazing counselor. That's what makes them their thing. No, no counselor is supposed to solve your problems. They're supposed to lead you, and they, you know, you're supposed to be like the horse mm. that's being led to the water because so it's it's part of their yeah it's part of their actually it's part of their rule book essentially of counseling is that you can't. You can't make someone understand something by telling them it. And this goes back to just something actually that I, I was thinking about as well, you know, with parenting and stuff. You, you telling someone the answer is never going to do them any justice. You've got to find a way to ask that person the right questions to lead them, to make them personally yeah. induce it within themselves. And I'm going to kind of switch it over to parenting because this is something that as sad as it is as a 22-year-old, I think about parenting styles more than more than people who are parents, <laughs> I'm constantly fluctuating and, and theorizing on what the best way to raise a child and what I to hope do you at a child. different in different ages. All oh, my child would be fucked. <laughs> my child would be a research experiment. I, I hope that I have identical twins because then I'd be I'd have my own beautiful research laboratory for the next <laughs> for the next eighteen years at least. But um, but with that said. You know the best parenting style, I think, is 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 leading leading by example because mm-hmm. the moment you know you have these fathers and they want their kid to be so much like them and to follow their path and continue the generational business or family business, whatever it may sure. be, or just even if it's a personality characteristic that they want to embed into their kid. And there's something that we have the one of the most important things to humans is liberation and the idea of liberation and feeling free. And feeling free to make decisions regarding themselves, right? And, and just feeling free in every sense of the term, you know, not feeling trapped physically or mentally or health-wise or anything like that. So when you put that kid in that position and, and he feels impinged on, and he feels like he has to do something, it just creates this ex- extreme level of, of uncomfortability. And, and, and it's only going to be so long. The kid might try to live up to your standards for so long. And might do everything he can to try to be what you you as a parent want them to be, but eventually you pushing them towards that is just going to backfire, and they're going to be absolutely pushed away from it. And it falls in line with drugs, job occupation, fitness, sports, burnout. And the burnout rates for all these things are always tenfoldly. <laughs> that's not a word, but <laughs> always yeah. so significantly higher for high pressure authoritative parents. Burnout rates for sports kids, you know, I took sports psychology and when observed perceptively by the researchers that the parent was an authoritarian, there was like an extreme percentage in the increase in the burnout of these different, of dropout school, rates in school and burnout and, and team sports and high school sports and stuff like that. So the, the key to, you know, I'm not a parent, but I think the key to parenting is just, is somehow to enforce this idea of respect for you without, without really 
trying to force on what you do, just making the kid, because the kid is born looking up to you most of the time. <laughs> Unless, you know, somehow there's some abnormality in, in, in the neurochemistry there. But, you know, most of the time, the kid looks up to you and wants to be exactly who you are. And they're just trying to imitate, you know, going back to mimicry and, and, and imitation and increasing liking and, and, and getting attention from a resource. They, they, they want to imitate you. And it'll stay that way as long as you don't do anything that makes them think that it shouldn't be imitating you, right? So you just, there, there's, parenting is a, such a tricky thing that I, I think about every day. But if there's anything that I know is that as a parent, you cannot, you cannot try to force a lifestyle and you cannot, you cannot even try to prescribe it or hint at it. You, you can only live it and, and do the things that, that kind of support a healthy lifestyle, you know, by properly feeding your kid and, and supplying them with the resources that they need to be an individual. I think individuality and raising a child and liberating them is very important. Mm. But I don't have a kid, so I'm going to end it at that. Yeah. <laughs> I might have a kid coming soon. Who knows? Oh, who knows? Yeah. God. <laughs> if for any of the young listeners, you should really just always, always be protected. Yeah, don't play Russian roulette. Uh, so physiological needs, safety needs, uh, love and belonging, and then esteem is next. Oh, yeah. Well, we, 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 were, we were, Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, we were getting back to Maslow's hierarchy. And so with the esteem is... You know, once you once you found the love and belonging in the community, and you have the reference point from yourself to the other people around you, that's where you now understand where your role should be, and what level of respect do you have, and and what are you, what is your place in the world and in the immediate civilization that you live in, and the community that you live in, and that's only found when you have the sense of community when you have the sense of place right so that's why people can't even get to the self-esteem point yeah. because they have no sense of purpose or a place or of identity or anything like that so so it's really important to create a network for yourself you need to join a club ah. you, you, you know i i i don't even i i this is so funny for me as as someone who's so interested in social psychology I you know I'm all over the place in terms of spiritual and religious beliefs. You know I take I take a bits and pieces from each thing. I think I think most of the scriptures get I it right. Well. I, I think most of the scriptures get it right generally from a metaphorical standpoint. If you don't take it from a creationist perspective, right? And um, and so with that said, I I have enough social ties as it is and no, networks. But I've even been contemplating going to church on Sundays. To go immerse myself into another group, uh, just just I to am. go for the people. I'm and, waiting and for you to give me. We've been talking about this. We for haven't. A while. I've been telling you. About it. The fucked up part is that I'm trying to do it as a social psychology experiment, <laughs> and I'm trying to go there to see the culture and and then pay more attention to that stuff than so much of the religious aspects. So that's why I haven't done it because I'm having this I'm having this dissonance of uncomfortability. Like, let's oh, go, I'm let's like, go Sunday and then we'll play golf I'm, after. Oh man, that, that might I'm gonna have to contact my my grandparents. <laughs> but um, but. But that is that is the point is that you need to put yourself out there into the groups and it's hard for people who are dealing with low self-esteem and, and, and poor self-image to put themselves out there because the, the hardest thing for these people is rejection. Rejection is hardest one of the hardest things for people to deal with in general whether it be romantic, social, romantic. business. Romantic rejection is probably the biggest one biggest. But, but it's actually social rejection. I, I have a few research studies that would that would probably prove that social rejection is the biggest one of all and romantic well, romantic, well. romantic is kind of a facet of social of social rejection there's a there's a really famous study i, I don't know it might be led in air know there's so many social psychologists that i've been learning about but um famous study three people are throwing a ball right oh yeah three people are throwing a fucking tennis ball 
just throwing it back and forth. Two people are confederates. One person's the the participant who's being observed, right? The two confederates, after X amount of throws, decide, hey, I'm just going to throw it to each other instead. Person at first, it's like, ah, the anticipatory reaction comes about. And, uh, and you know, they, they, they're just kind of like waiting. And then the throws keep, <laughs> keep building up. And then more throws happen. And then they start, they, they did brain scans on these people. And they start feeling the same physiological response, you know, from this ostrac- from the social ostracism as people who are like left out in the wild and, and you know, malnourished. And, 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 and these, these extreme physiological responses they're comparable to physical fits of physical pain, but it's social pain. It's emotional pain. That's what I experience when I when I go to the bar and get left alone. Mm-hmm. And it's an ostracizing. It's 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 that sense of no no belonging. And there's no there's no sense of, of connectedness there, and and you just have to you have to find that. And and, and so I know that it's it's so hard to tell that to someone who's suffering from depression mm. and low self esteem and and poor self image because that one more rejection could be life or death for them you know it's so hard for them to put themselves into that place so it it's really hard to convince these people sometimes but i hope that messages like this where they understand the extremely and value the extreme value in that community in that communal sense that they would take the step out of the house and find that church or that mm-hmm. youth group or whatever whatever anything that has a certain number of people. Sure. It literally comes down to you interacting with a, a couple of people. If someone has three really good friends and they see those three really good friends enough, that could be some, all that someone needs. You, it just, I think it needs to be three or more. There's no theory on that. That's just my personal kind of thought at the moment. Someone needs at least three closely intimate person people in their life Mm. i think without if you have two then you fluctuate too much between the two and you might apply romantic interest to one or you're fluctuating like you maybe you're romantically interested in in both and and so i think with two it leaves a dichotomy and it leaves it leaves too much binary like movement so with three it just opens up like the the options for you i think of the classic couple that just blocks themselves themselves off from the outside world Uh, and it's just and it's just horrible it's 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 like uh they it's i i'm trying to pin uh, hit the nail on the head here um they just i don't know man i drew a blank there yeah but they, but they they just like well, what happens is their only, relationship deteriorates because they're only getting you know they're only getting the yeah. the social interaction from each other you know they Granted, you know, some they have jobs and they go to work, but the intimate part, the, the key word here is intimate connection. There is something, we need something beyond just the physical touch and the presence. We need, we almost need to like open ourselves up. Like it's like, it's like we, we feel so trapped, I feel like, that we need people that we can open ourselves up to and then who in turn open themselves up to us and make us it's all like the standpoint theory it's like this frame of reference like we need to know you know if you go back to like freud's psychosexual stages mm-hmm. uh one of the stages is like it's basically like exploration right and it, it, i i forget it not the phallic stage because that's related to the to sex and stuff 
but um, it just it, it's back. It, it, psychosexual stages are about where your sexual energy is kind of focused at that stage in your life, and one of the stages is that you just have this generalized sexual energy, and you're just so curious, and you're so exploratory, and you just want to see other people's anatomy to like put it as a frame of reference to you. So I think these intimate relationships are so important because you need to like, have a re- frame of reference of like other people and just know that like you're not the only one dealing with these you know self. Uh, sabotaging thoughts or, or just these anxieties or these curiosities it's just like people need other people to help them understand themselves certainly we're just all trying to understand ourselves understand ourselves certainly so self-actualization then. and then yeah so and then the, the top of the pyramid you know, would be after you've de- developed that self-esteem it's a pyramid and, scheme yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking about pyramid scheme it is oh, I would love I would yeah. love to indulge and you know <laughs> so with self-actualization it's just, it's basically, you've realized your place in your community and your civilization and your, your, your network, and you're now aware of it, and you're trying to make the most of it. You're not just, you're not just accepting your role, you're, you're in undoing it and, and, and kind of half-assing it or, or whatever it may be. You're, you're, you're full-heartedly emotionally connected to that identity and you might not love it, you know, you might deal with suffering, but you know who you are and you know what your strengths are and you're trying to improve on the strengths and the weaknesses. So even though you might not be happy with who you are self-actualized, you at least are aware of your weaknesses. Because if you're not aware of your weaknesses, then you're not self-actualized. Because anyone, everyone loves to believe that they, it's very hard for people to admit their weaknesses. And it's it's oftentimes the what people, are yours? Oh, let's talk about my weaknesses. <laughs> I would say my weaknesses are temptation, uh, to to novel stimuli. I I I have <laughs> I I have an issue with with staying with staying committed to one to one project. I you know I have I have this diverse diverse interest that happens so i i it, it falls back on commitments really is that i don't want to i don't want to do something that's not so stimulating you know because when you're committed to like a project the process is stimulating right but you you know you're always focused on the end result right and so, so oftentimes i'm halfway through i'm halfway through a business venture or, or a school project or something and i just have this inherent need to go do something else and, and, and direct my attention and focus to something new and it's just that impulsivity is one of my weaknesses missing that, the moment so yeah it's, it's 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 i'm constantly planning it's i i have the i have the this the, the enneagram talks about i have the i have the thinking mind i'm constantly future oriented feel the same way uh-huh yeah and you absolutely are but it, it works to your benefit it, you you make the you you complete the projects most times i i have the projects you know 75 percent of the way done and what, what it says about, you know, I, I'm an epicure for anyone who knows anything about the essential Enneagram. I'm a type seven epicure, the gluttonist, constantly avoiding pain and uh-huh. consistently pursuing the pleasurable aspects of life. And, um, and with that said, I, I just, I like to, I like to be in the beginning stages of things. I like to start things up, you know, I like to be the, the brainstormer. The synthesizer. I like to bring everything together, but I don't like to be there for the whole for the whole project. You know, it's like I'd be a great like. So you're gonna start a company and sell it? Yeah, it's that's exactly what I imagine <laughs> in my life. I literally imagine myself building up a you know at some point in time after you know if anyone's interested in what my 
actual life career goals are. I'm, I'm planning on going to grad school, hopefully FIU for uh, industrial organizational psychology. You know, so I work very closely with HR and, and training and development and, and recruitment and just organizational behavior in general and, and optimizing your human capital and making the most productive employees that you can possibly make and, and satisfied and motivated and all that good stuff. So if anyone thinks that by the end of this talk, you know, I might have some potential, <laughs> let me know. But that is that is where my interests lie occupationally. Can you go back to what your question was again? I forget what, what you are was. your weaknesses. Oh, okay. Well, that so that was so the underlying. Same, yeah. yeah. So so you know the the impulsivity and yeah. the and, and the the spread outness is a weakness of mine. I think another weakness of mine would be. Uh, even though I know and I like re retell myself every day that like to stop being so self-righteous and, and thinking that my way is the best way and stuff like that because everyone thinks that. So I, I know that that's like something that's just general and I have to like be on top of it. I still catch myself every day. Like, you know, someone someone does something and I'm like, oh, you dumbass. I'm like, why didn't you do it this way? Like I would have done it this way and it would have been way better, mm. you know? And so it's like, that that self-righteousness is always i think that self-righteous ego is always going to be something that people have as a weakness and you can only improve it to so much you know they they talk about they talk about universal actualization um when it comes to like selflessness and they say like you know some of the best nuns in the world they're universally actualized and they are 99 percent selfless but there's always somehow some way this one percent of behavior, no matter who you are, you're the most purest soul in the entire world. There's one percent, at least, of selfishness. Of you know, when so you say selfish, you can just connect that to the word ego, and your and your desires and what you're doing and what you're acting upon. And and you know, people are just there. The percentages of selflessness versus selfishness just vary upon the stages of actualization, right? And and I'd say that I. I'm I'm actualized to a certain degree, and I, another weakness of mine is I still knowing what's better for like a a whole group of people. Still, I'm so self-serving and still so focused on my needs. So it's yeah. like I I still have to figure out how to become more. What's the word? More beneficial to other people. Like I, less I think, self-serving. Yeah, less self-serving, I guess. It's but like, it's so natural to be self-serving. It, it's, it's a it's, self-serving bias. Yeah. Well, oh, we have we have many self-serving biases. We have <laughs> many indeed. Oh, we have so many. I would I would love to actually this is touch probably upon. Probably my favorite. Concept. Yeah, I would love to touch upon these because these are. You've, you've opened my eyes to this. Yeah, this we, these are the our these are our ultimate. You know, these are our ultimate psychological defense mechanisms yeah. here that I'm going to touch upon a couple. And these are what we use every day to make us feel like we're the shit. <laughs> like, you know, to make us think that we are somehow unique or we're somehow smarter or we're not wrong, at least. That's like the, the underlying thing is we want to make sure that we're not wrong and that we're doing the right thing, right? So you have the most obvious one. You have the self-service bias, self-serving bias, which, you know, you're attributing successes to you and failures yeah. to all the outside sources. You know, you fail That's the good. test, yeah. the teacher, the teacher's a dumbass. The so is my chapter 11 in my book, Take Full Responsibility, is that wrong in a sense? Like, I, I say take responsibility for everything. Mm -hmm. um, 
I guess it's a good and bad. It's give and take sort of relationship there. Uh, I I don't think that's wrong. No, because that if you're taking responsibility, then you're then you're avoiding the self-serving bias. You know, you're mm. you're you're taking responsibility for your failures, and you're not attributing them and victimizing yourself. But then I'm, am I taking too much responsibility for my successes as well? Ah, that's a great that no, that's a great dichotomy. No, I, I did not even take it in from that perspective. You you absolutely could be. You know, and and I you know everyone has that problem of. And especially in rap, you know, you hear it uh, self-made or I did this all on my own. And, uh, and for yeah, someone yeah. who would who would read my story, if I wrote it down all in a book, I could very easily make which, it sound like which, oh, yeah, which, it which might come have. one day. Yeah, hey, look out, look out in the world. Be, sometime be, Patrick I, I, I've said, I've said, so I've said a couple times to you, maybe one time to you. Uh, if you ever write a book, it's going to be. Fifty thousand times better than <laughs> yeah. anything I'll ever do. I'll I'll write I'll write like thirty books, but you'll write Just one. That one. You'll write one, and you'll be you'll you'll it'll be so much better than. But you know, one. and my my life has changed so drastically from you know from the time that I moved to Florida and just from everything up up until this exact moment where I'm mm-hmm. here on this podcast that me and my friend Jordan have envisioned for years. We've spoken about this not before the podcasts were even a thing. We always said that Jordan. Would contrive this and make this manifest this, dude. We could have a, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. We we could have a speak, but on a side note, we could have like a thousand episodes of a podcast by now. Imagine if we record. <laughs> oh man, I really wish. But um, this is episode like thirty nine of mine. Oh, this I'm so episode. proud of you, man. But, I, just to see how far you've came with everything from the moment you got your certification to to from the moment you joined the cheerleading team. I don't you know the people who who are listening to this probably don't know, but I am the person who who recruited Jordan onto the team once upon a time. His first year of school, I I saw him from. A far on the on the bus and he was talking some nonsense some freshman some freshman gibberish about going out and i was like oh let me school this young in real quick yeah so i you know i schooled him on the do's and the don'ts but to get back to the topic you know i could easily define and articulate my life as if i am the sole reason for it being the way i am and i'm an important factor but there's so many contributors in everyone's life no matter no matter how hardworking you are the universe and everything that encompasses in it is helping you out and, and throwing bones your way. And, sure, you know, you could be shit on way more often than you are. There's always a worse situation, right? So, you know, I've went from riding a longboard seven miles to school every day. Incredible. To, to driving this car in the last six, seven months. I got my license when I was 21 years old for anyone who's listening. And, and I'm not even going to go into detail about how that happened. But there's people out there who do care and who will bless you if they think that you are a good worthy person to be blessed and prove that you have something that yep. you can bring to the table that's and that's all i want that's all i want in life is just to bring something to the table not really deep down i guess it's probably for myself from what i know about humans but you know i tell jordan all the time about how i could die at any moment it really wouldn't really matter that much to me so i think that my my purpose here is more so dedicated to other people and trying to just make this a very fun life like as a gluttonist i i am trying to produce the most fun for everyone so i i've i've definitely been helped along the way and and i hope and i hope that as i continue to grow and develop now more i can i can help others along the way as well another self-related bias that we have is is the illusion of control, which kind of goes back to self-serving bias. You know, are you an internal, are you an external person, right? So do you believe that you are the internal locus of control for your life? 
or do you think that there's just you know like a destiny or are you are you you know that would like not that you join it personally but just as a person in general you know like are you attributing things to outside sources when they happen are you looking inside and thinking what did i do sometimes both yeah and it is and it is both and i like to believe that the universe you know there is some destiny type playing into it i really think that there is a magician amongst the stars who's mm. who's orchestrating this fantastically coincidental and ironic life. I, I, I posted, ironic, a, yeah, yeah, I posted, yeah. I posted a Facebook status a couple of years ago and it popped up in my memories the other day. And I said, oh, it was so I, I worded it so funny and I got no, I got no likes because you know people Ooh, are very religious man. and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. The no likes. And I said, I, I that, said yeah. the orchestrator. Yeah, I said the orchestrator of this mystical life sure has a passion for irony. And and it's so true, you know. If you if you haven't caught the irony in your life, like you're just not you're not paying enough detail, enough attention to detail. Because I don't care who you are, I don't care if you live in a third world country. There there are things that happen on a daily basis. Whether it's you, you know, coming across a berry on the ground after you just were talking about how how malnourished <laughs> your your community is. Mean, that's like that's like yeah, I would never understand third world problems. But the point is, is that there's a deep irony within it, within this all. It's ingrained in there the, are no in the ordinary nature. Moments. Yeah, there are no ordinary moments, and nothing is lucky. I really I really believe that everything is calculated. Whether well, why do things seem we get it, we get stuck in the loop of things seeming mundane and and ordinary, and you know we get we get bored. We start we start knowing. That's where I think I feel like that's where it goes wrong. We start well, we knowing. We, we start. Know. We start. Yeah. We give things names, and we're no longer curious. Uh-huh, it's like oh, like like instead we, of like oh, what is this? And we figure out it's a leaf. Now we're like, it's a fucking leaf. Who gives a fuck? Uh-huh. You know. And, and, and you can and always dig deeper. We're not curious you can, anymore. You can dig into the the cellular level, the chemical level, the the phys, the metaphysical level. You know, there's always there's so much intricacy to life, which is what makes it so interesting and mystical that you can always dig deeper. But it's the heuristic, it's the it's the stereotype mindset, it's the system one thinking. It's easier for us to just have that schema of something and not assimilate it anymore and not accommodate it. Yeah. You know, you have that exemplar of a good leader, or you have that schema of a good leader. So, you know, the schema is like the characteristic and then the exemplar is like the the idea. So a good leader exemplar would be Martin Luther King. A good leader schema would be ambitious, you know, charismatic. Things like that. And so I set that definitions out because we're so lazy. <laughs> we're so, like, we're so, the humans are so smart and so lazy at the yeah. same time. So we, we see these things, you know, we see the leaf, we see the plant. And even though there's such a diverse botany and so many different species of plants, you know, how many people do you know that are actually interested in plants? You know, people look at bushes and they just go, oh, that's a bush. You know, you, you look at, you look at any diverse, it could be any type of leaves. And your first thought is like, oh, that's that's an ugly bush over there, you know. It's like you lose the passion and the, and yeah. the interest because you you just identify and categorize things under these very broad schemas. So it makes life seem like there's only so many finite kind of categories. You know, you got bushes, you got beaches, you got sand, you got this, you got that. Zero. But you can go deeper into all of those things, and you yeah, can what's get the infinitely antidote? deep. The antidote is curiosity. Okay, it's not okay. Well. You, what you is have that? To, so what's the you have what's to the, you what's have the to, perception the mindset there? It's not as uh, it's not as easy as just like saying yeah that the the mindset there I guess is to is to is to take into account your your lack of knowledge despite despite you thinking that you know so much about the world already and always convince yourself you that, that that you are 
unknowledgeable. What's the what's the? Oh, there's so many quotes about it. Uh, there's the there's such a famous quote that goes, "I know nothing except or I." What is it? I, I don't know. I, I yeah, it's something like yeah. I don't know anything except that I know nothing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. That, and, that works. And yeah. if you can live by that, if you can convince yourself of that, I don't. I forget what it is, man. It's, it's something along the lines. Is like I don't know anything besides the fact that I, I know nothing. Line one. I know nothing. <laughs> the first, first line in the book. <laughs> Precisely my point. If you can convince yourself of that and not remain in the self righteous mindset then you can find the beauty in your everyday life because you'll realize they're finding these these scientists, these doctorates, these people who have been in the field for 40 years who have looked at cells under the best of the, the worst and the best microscopes ever. The better the technology gets, the deeper the shit goes. Yeah. It's never ending. They're, they're looking into a cell and they're finding out that the cell just keeps going. Like, the more you know, I like, learn, the, rest, the less I realize it, I actually know. Uh-huh, yeah, so whatever. The, there's, I think there's just so many great quotes about that concept. But you know, they're, even at the cellular level, it's like the greater the technology, the more there is to know. And, and it's just always going to be that way. There's always going to be an abundance and an infinite amount of information. Yep, and so when you, when you put that into your brain wholeheartedly and, and really accept that and accept that you can't be this omniscient, almighty righteous person that you want to be so bad because everyone wants to be it so bad when you when you accept that that's when the curiosity thrives and you're all, you're like a little kid again you know because when you're a little kid everything's great you know you look we're not not that's not true but you look you, you look at the world much different as a seven-year-old child than when you're 21 right and i'd like to believe that i've almost reconditioned a young boy back into myself. I, you know, I go and I stand outside and I look at the sky yeah. and I go, "Wow!" Yeah. <laughs> I go, "Look at the way the clouds are sp- you know spattered out in the sky." And yeah. and anyone else could just be like, "Oh, it's a cloudy day." Yeah. But like I, I'm every day I'm That's trying to recondition. Yeah, man. it is. It is. It, it, that could be you know, meditating I, eyes wide open. I, I've life. I've been taking a class that's basically all about meditation this semester, and you know, people just have this misconception of meditation as this om sitting down cross-legged holding your hands in a certain type of way idea and to make it so simple for for the common person listening meditation is a contained focus it's just a pure focus where things outside of that focal point have dissolved and they and you're just immersed in whatever it is you could be staring at a, the back of a chair and if you're lost you know for 30 seconds to a minute and you just time is nothing to you in that minute you just meditated whether you know it or not yeah. and that actually has there's neurochemical things going on in your brain and that might that one minute of decompressing you know the the cortisol in your brain and 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 and, and, dis, and inhibiting certain releases of things that you're firing at such high rates even if it's for a minute Sometimes that has long-term impacts on your on your overall neurology, Certainly. and so it just it's just finding the things that make you dissolve. Do things that you dissolve into. Ah, that's man. that's the only that's the only way to put it. And that, and you'll be meditating. You know, don't worry about sitting down and, and drifting off into this fucking Himalayan mountain and and hearing waterfalls and all that stuff. Because I mean, it happens. I, I sit down outside of the beach sometimes and I drift off, but that takes practice. That. You yeah. have to you have to learn how to bask in the sensations of life. Yeah, I always think people that need music 
at the beach. Not to be hypocritical, but we 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 were listening oh we to, use it yeah we we were listening to a speaker on on the beach the other day, but that's I I rarely rarely do that. Um, I feel like it's that goes it, it takes away from the point of like being at the beach. Like uh-huh. I, I mean the ocean. The, the beach the wind, has a beautiful sink. Yeah. sink uh, what's the word? Uh, if you harmony, need music at the beach, you you're say. missing the point. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we. Is there anything more on self-serving bias that you wanted to say? Yeah, yeah. I got I got another one that I yeah. really like. So, I've already talked about false uniqueness uh, in a sense. You know, we, we just love to believe that we're unique. So, all a lot of our thought processes come from the fact that we think somehow that we're more unique than the rest of the bunch that we're with. So, I really won't go into that. And the same thing with better than average effect, you know. We, I suffer from this. One. Yeah, we we constantly think that we're better than than the normal person, yeah. and even though the normal person really is designed just like us, you know, there's certain things that we might be better than the map, but then they might be better than us at computer programming so, or something like that. You know, is so that's probably that's chief on the list for me. That one, mm-hmm. uh, the better than it, average effect. Is that yeah? Is that yeah. Uh, bad? Is that is that really damaging? Is this is this really detrimental? It is. It is very detrimental because it's detrimental in group and group psychology because what happens is it creates an I versus them psychology, right? So you've got this better than average effect. I mean, it, it, it's bad in general, but I, I, wanna, I like group psychology, so I'm going to kind of relate it back to organizations, right? So when you have this better than average effect, you have this I versus them concept, right? You have them as the lessers, I as the as the one who is the, the smartest and, and the most competent. And that bleeds through every interaction that you have. Even if you think you're holding it in, uh-huh. even if you think you're not saying it. It's another bias. It's, another, it's yeah. just another bias that you use that dictates all of your behavior and your thought patterns. So it creates this, it creates this parallel where you're not, you know, you're not, it's impossible for you to really connect with people. And you might be better than them in certain things, right? But that's, that's besides the point is that it, 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 it just, it bleeds. That's, that's well, I know the thing. antidote isn't to sit, tell yourself, oh, I'm a worthless piece of shit. Uh-huh, no, what so is yeah, it? <laughs> you're right. And, and you're right. And I think, I think the better than average effect can only be remedied so much, right? Because we all have it deep down every day. Even if I tell myself over and over again, there's something that's going to pop up eventually where my thought process goes like, oh, why didn't he do this? Like, I know that that's the right thing. Like, obviously he's not as smart as I am or something like that, you know? So it's like, the only way to really remedy it is to realize your strengths, see how your strengths compare up to other people that are surrounding you in the different contexts that you're in and and just be conscious of that it, it really just leads back to to self-awareness of your strengths and your weaknesses are you really better than average you know are you lying to yourself are you are you what are you scoring on the test you know like in terms of looking at statistical averages and stuff you could even just look at your your you know your grade book and, and look at whatever the averages on the tests and stuff like that and there's there's humbling data out there. There's humbling. There's ways to humble yourself. You know, you you, you can do much more upward social comparison and, and look at the people who are way better than you at the different things and make you realize that you're not the shit. You know, you're not this great grandier person that you caricature 
people want to say caricaturize yourself, and I don't think it's a word, but I want to keep saying it, <laughs> uh, that you that you set out yourself to be, essentially. Mm. You know, I just remembered, and this is a topic we absolutely have to get back to. We were talking about meaning before our first break. Mm-hmm. And you ever think that um, we're just... It's kind of a uh, it's kind of a silly search. Uh, it, we we insist on making life is so simple, but we insist on making it so complex. Like like just fucking enjoy, man. Bask in the moment. Have fun. I I mean I you saw me in in the in the Bahamas. Uh, mm. My 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 lovely hey. magical adventure hey. that I had twenty first the other week twenty first raids. And um, and there was no I, I I don't I wouldn't say there was a meaning or purpose to it. Mm-hmm. I was just having fucking fun. It was, and it was just, the best four days of my life. I think I think is it I a have... meaning? Is it a is it a meanly, meaningless? Is the search for meaning a meaningless search? Why are we making it so complex? Why don't we just have fucking fun? Man? I like that quote. Is the search for meaning a meaningless search? It needs to be written down, written down <laughs> somewhere. And it and it's true. I, I think that I think that it's something. It's one of those. Uh, I I've been using the word inherent a lot, and I think it's one of those things that's kind of you know programmed into our brain. It's like we we can't help but but search for it. So so what what has to be done to remedy that kind of that preset condition in our brain? Is you you have to place meaning into the things that you know that you know are fun. You know, you you have to tell yourself that life was made for you to for you to have fun. You know, like if you're not happy, you know what what is life to you? You know, if you're not happy, you you're gonna think that life is is meaningless. Is that you're gonna think that it's it's pointless and that you you have no reason to do this. So really, the real meaning of life. Not that there's any definitive meaning, but I think subjectively to me, and I think a lot of people would agree that the meaning to life is to be happy. And that is kind of the overlying, anyone who knows anything about the essential enneagram for the epicure, for my personality type, that is the prophecy that we live by, is that life was made for us to enjoy it. And that is and that is it. But with that said, you know, life can't always be enjoyed. So you've got to find the meaning. Uh, you've got to attribute meaning to your True. pains and your tribulations and your trials True. and fi- figure out how that's contributing to the longitudinal happiness. How, how is this p- problem that I'm going through today going to make me a happier person in the future? Because it will. If you can overcome it and find the answers to it, then in the future, it's not going to be such a problem to you and you'll remain more happy. Right. So, so those things have their place in life. You know, It yeah. can't all just be pure gluttony and fun. Yes. You've got to just got to find a way to interpret them and judge them and, and extract the right things from them. Okay, I love that. I love that. Was there any I think we covered oh most we've, of, yeah we've most we've of everything talked. except for a couple things, but I'd love to uh have you back on in a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, yeah, I think we could is, I think we could easily do another one. Been a successful experiment episode so far. Right. Yeah. You know what's different about you? Um, you know, I'd love people to stay connected with you, but what's refreshing is that, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but everyone you know that comes on my show, they have a website, they they're selling something. They're, yeah, yeah, there's something, there's something they're they're trying to put out there. Um, yeah, yeah, and and that's normal. That's fine. I mean, I go on podcasts as well. I have, and, and people could say the same thing yeah. about me. I have a book. I'm selling stuff. It's and, exposure. And uh, yeah, so 
so I'd love people to stay connected with you, but you don't have a book. You, you're not selling any selling anything. You don't have a website. You just casual. You just experiment uh, with social psychology on yeah, Instagram I'm from just, time to yeah, time. I'm just, <laughs> just a, a modern yeah. day self social psychologist. You and I both experiment with algorithms and, yeah, and, algorithms and different captions yeah. <laughs> and, and social proof, like. You know, with you know, we'll post solo shots and. See, oh yeah, I, I I vary the times, the yeah. group photos, the captions. I, I go from I go from posting because people in my age group, at least from my from my peer cohort, they love the lyric captions. You know, everyone <laughs> everyone wants the caption from their favorite song. And my the only theory I can really think of is that they see that lyric and then they they receive that dopamine hit that they remember when they listen to the song. So it's a paired dopamine hit of the attractive photo will hopefully attract the photo with the lyric that also elicits that like ooh that groove you know like they read that lyric and they're like oh yeah it's one of my favorite lyrics and then they're looking at the picture of you looking your best because you only post your best of your best so it's like a double whammy right so then i post you know sometimes i do that and sometimes i come in with this with this life you know these life things like and and i get half the likes that i would on on the on the lyric and (laughs) and so it's it's great just to just to temper with it but for the people who might want to you know somehow i i I am gonna go for my masters and and keep pursuing the psychology thing so if you want to keep up with me you can find me my name's patrick armand natili it's it's natili it's italian it's n-a-t i-l-i all of my social media has been and it's been set since I was in tenth grade, and I'm gonna keep it that way because I think that social media, as much as it, as much as it should be you, you know, LinkedIn is where my real name is at. So find me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn check my resume. Awesome. Yeah, LinkedIn is a great invention. I'm very, very proud of whoever made LinkedIn. But um, in terms awesome. of Twitter, yeah, in terms of Twitter or Instagram or anything like that, if you want to see my cheerleading photos or me <laughs> me tossing ladies up in the air and holding them up with one hand and stuff like that, or me wanting pretending to be a model, <laughs> um, you can find me at, at Patty Ice. <laughs> it's P-A-T-T-Y space Ice, or um, the actual at handle is Pat So Icy. You know, you could you could probably come up with very easy explanation so. as to how I got that nickname in, in high school in a, in, a, in a college party type scene. But um, I think it's funny. I think it's hilarious. I think our, our social medias, all, all platforms actually serve a different function for the human. You know, so Facebook's our more familial ties and Facebook's kind of our idealized. Well, they're all our idealized selves, but Facebook's more of our like civic, responsible, idealized self for the people who have their family added on it. You know, so Facebook say all basically. I'm not even going to go into this theory because I'd love to just touch upon this on, on another topic on another day. But basically, each platform serves a different function for human psychology, right? And so, my Facebook, you'll find my best self there. Um, Instagram, you'll find my best self. But I like to have that alter ego because I think that we all have multiple selves. We all definitely play different roles in in our everyday lives. You know, your father, your coach, you're a student. You're a mentor. You're 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 so many different things on a daily basis, and I see no reason to to change my my Instagram and Twitter names because there's there's nothing to be ashamed of. So follow me at Pat So I see with an E. I know it's not the proper spelling, but I I, I prefer to keep it in because it falls in line with my nickname Patty Ice, and uh, and it was it was great to be on on the show. Yeah, Jordan. man. Yeah. Before I ask my final two questions, yeah. I'd love to acknowledge you. <laughs> yeah, validate me. Let's look to me. Let's, I'd love for you to bask in this validation that I'm about to give you. Uh, thank um, you. <laughs> I love you, brother. I really do. Um, 
you know, I just want to acknowledge you for your openness, for your vulnerability, mm-hmm. for being candid and, um, you know, you're, you're not afraid to go, you know, talk about these taboo, some of these taboo topics. You're very knowledgeable. You prepared probably more than any guest has. You wrote all this stuff down. You, you did your due diligence. Um, you're just, you're going, achievement, I think achievement, uh, success is subjective. Mm-hmm. And though many of my guests have done a lot of stuff, quote unquote, quote unquote stuff, um, as far as I'm concerned, you're the most successful individual I've ever had on the podcast. That is a great, a great compliment. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that. Yes. Well, my second to last question. Then. Yes is uh, how has your truth evolved say over the past five years mm. you know what's what was true for you five years ago what's true for you now I guess five years ago you were 17 you were that's just interesting finishing question how have you evolved uh that's really a funny question because in terms of truths i i've actually had this been having this uh, i was on campus and the religious people were walking around and, and they caught me sitting eating my lunch and and i had no choice but to engage in religious truthful subjective truthful uh discussion with them and you know nothing in life besides mathematics in my opinion is really true and around that age it's actually funny they use that age as, as the reference point because around that age is when i accepted the the what i consider true Uh, That the universe, you have to have this basic trust in the universe, right? You have to believe that somehow the universe is working in your favor at all times. And to look, you know, after this whole episode of self-serving biases, I don't just think that for myself. Even though people are all dealing with much worse things, even that person in third world country, the universe, whether they believe it or not, is on their side. And, And there has to be that basic trust. So in the last five years, that has been one of my underlying truths. And, and, and really in the past five years, I've kind of lived by pretty similar truths, which I think has been the reason that I've been on this, such a progressive incline is that I figured out what I like or what I think is true, you know, and what I, what I see as true and what's working for me in the world. And that's what I've lived by. But if there is something that I could think that's different from that time from now, if I really thought about it, it would be that people are that all people are are greedy and, and not not that they are, but that I thought at seventeen as a as a kid, you know, with no car, hmm. you know, no income, no no nothing, nothing going on for me. Seeing all the people who are well off coming from the east coast of Florida and that Miami Fort Lauderdale atmosphere where everyone's a flexer and a finesser and a scammer. It, you, it, they will all agree even the people anyone would agree with that <laughs> um, seeing that made me think that there's no one out there who's doing well who, who truly wants to help you know it made me realize it made me think that all at once you get up like you're just staying up and you're looking out for yourself because that's how a lot of people on that east coast side are and then I came over to the Fort Myers and it's a completely different type of money out here it's a completely different type of philosophy because all these people they're in the different stage of their life and they've got the money and they they don't they they realize they have so much money and they, and they not only do they have so much money but the, the money means nothing and and to somebody else it means a lot for someone that's not in their position so if there's anything that I've realized is that people are good out there and and yeah. and as much as people like to believe as much as I've talked about the human organism today on this on this podcast despite our all of the human flaws we have 
people are good out there and if you are a good person and as cliche as it's gonna sound if you go on my t- twitter i've been preaching this message for like five years and the shit has just worked endlessly you reap what you sow yep. what you put out is what you get yep. if you are a loving individual yep. and no matter who you're coming into contact with you're trying to get to know the best of them you're trying to bring out that positive side of them you're not trying to engage and fight fighting behavior or argumentative behavior you know if you're an open-minded person and you're not taking their opinions and trying to twist them or, or argue with them you've just got to be an open loving individual accept everyone for who they are and ride with it and and you will receive a lot more than you would ever think in this life so i guess that's one truth that's changed for me since i was 17 years old i, I resonate with that yeah i resonate with that you know it's changed my changed my life the past few weeks the, the mantra playing in my head has been there is no path to love love is the path mm-hmm. uh love has been my my path it's been my it's been my mode of of communication it's been my mode of of it's it's been connection. my default mode yeah. my mode of connection uh just honest expression and and it, for me I'm a I'm, I'm a guy with a lot of love to give a lot of people so I feel that my final question yes. is what does life beautifully designed look like to you life be- beautifully designed to me that's it, it sucks because this is where the philosopher idealist of my side of my personality comes out. So it, it, it life beautifully designed for myself is a lot different than what I think of a beautifully designed life for humans, right? So beautifully designed life for humans, for me, would be an international society, no concept of nation, no patriotism, no, no concept, as much as important as culture is and, and stuff and appreciating the history of culture and all that, there'd be no sense of, of, di- of segmentation of the cultures, of the races, you know, so it'd be a unified, a unified culture because we're going to be globally unified eventually, whether it's for the best or for the worst, you know, with the modes of connection and communication that we have, it's going to be the closest thing to being all together in one, on one country as, as possible, right? So that would be a beautifully designed life would be would be life where people realize how much we can actually accomplish when we are working together yeah. and when we don't tap into that animalistic desire to fight and have conflict. But a beautiful life for me designed is actually really way simpler than than one could ever think. And and I really my ideal is to work in a corporation internationally. Do cross-cultural leadership development, you know, train employees and cross-cultural awareness. Be just out traveling, you know, yeah. basically traveling to the different countries. Say this corporate, this corporation is an international corporation. Kind of, you know, conducting seminars. This is the ideal of the cons- the consultation side of HR. Once I've designed such a history of of you know uh, of work and competency in the field but that's my ideal is to be working for an international corporation traveling different countries seeing the world seeing as many cultures as possible because as a social psychologist all i want to know is what's universal about humans and what's culturally nurtured into us and the only way i'm going to figure that out is to personally i can read about it as much as possible but the only way i'm going to know deep down is to travel as much as possible and see as many tribes of these, you know, I would love to see these excommunicated, these ostracized tribes who have had no contact with human sources other than them, their own tribe, 
and just just so many there's so much traveling and so much investigation that I want to do while working and making a living and contributing positively to the overall macro scope of society. So that's my life beautifully designed. So if there's anyone who, who's been listening to this who happens to be a big HR executive of a, of a massive corporation <laughs> and thinks that there's something I could do for your talent acquisition or, or management or development or recruitment or any of the above areas of HR, please give me a ring. If not, you guys will catch me in, in a couple of years. I'll have my doctorate in about four or five and uh, you'll definitely hear the name Patrick Attili another time. So certainly I, i'm i'm waiting on that book man yeah that, that that's gonna come once i become a little more credible i think patrick natilly love you brother I thank you, you too, so man. much for capturing this audio with me my absolutely. man absolutely thank yes, you sir. i, I could not have been happier to be here <laughs> there you have it my friends this has been another episode of the growth mindset university podcast and if you enjoyed this one today Make sure you subscribe if you have not already, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and make sure to leave an honest review as well. When you leave a review, we grow. We spread this message of growth even further. Now, if you're ready to really take your life to the next level, then you can go ahead and get my book, Growth Mindset University, which is available on Amazon. And by getting this book, you're not just supporting me and this channel, but you're also getting a book that's going to lay out the rules and principles for you to creatively and effectively design your life full of joy and fulfillment. Whatever that looks like to you, it's going to be a life filled with purpose. All right. Now, thank you for listening today. I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count live to learn and grow to give.